0: Welcome to Culture Conversations, a podcast that helps disciples make disciples in today's world. I'm Chris Moran, host of Culture Conversations, and today you'll be hearing from Pete Rue, one of the pastoral elders of Eternal City Church. Pete shares what it was like growing up in a fundamentalist Baptist home, school, and church environment. What it was like being a pastor's kid, and then himself going to Bible college and seminary to become a pastor in a local church in Philly. Then, his journey to Pittsburgh. I trust you'll be encouraged. I am here with the Reverend Wright Rue, the theologian, Pete Welcome to the Culture Conversation podcast, brother. Thank you for doing this interview.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, so thankful, man. So my hope is that you can share your early, early stories, man. You grew up in a pastor's home mm-hmm. and you had an interesting kind of city upbringing. Yep. Tell us about your childhood. Tell us your first memories of church and what your first church was like.
1: Yeah, sure. So when, when I was born 34 years ago now, 1986, my dad was... Um, he was still in seminary, but also working with a church, planting a church in Philadelphia. Okay. Um, so we were.
0: What was the seminary?
1: Uh, it was Calvary Theological Seminary. Um, in Calvary, Chapel? No, okay. Calvary Chapel? No, not Calvary Chapel. No, independent Fundamental Baptist Seminary. Nice. Um, so we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll get into that later. <laughs> but um, yeah, so he was he was working with another guy planting a church in the northeast Phil- northeast Philadelphia in the Mayfair neighborhood. So um, we were. Growing up, grew up in the city, um, grew up in Philly, and started out in the neighborhood of Frankfurt and moved to Mayfair eventually. Um, and my earliest recollections of church were storefront church, mm. second floor above. I think there was like a uh, like an electronics store underneath, a couple of couple of restaurants, a couple of other things. And um, so my earliest recollections of it were running up and down the steps of this. Um, this storefront property, um, getting yelled at by people because I was being too loud. Um, you PK. You yeah, playing <laughs> playing like um, wall ball on the side of the wall. Is that like handball? Yeah, Is like handball, okay. yeah, um, on the side of the wall. Describe like
0: handball ball. for those who are not city kids.
1: Yeah, so basically you just have like a rubber ball. Um, and like a racquetball,
0: right? right?
1: Yeah, kind of like a racquetball ball. or like one of those pink pink balls that were super balls uh yeah kind of like super balls yeah so didn't bounce too much maybe like a tennis ball you could use a bunch of things and um essentially the the idea of the game is you could play a couple different ways but you you have somebody who throws the ball against the wall it bounces back somebody has to catch it and throw it back and there's a rotation where you have to touch the wall and come back without getting hit by the ball or the ball hitting the wall first so there's a bunch of variation to it but yeah you play you learn to play with you want to play crazy games when you're in the city. In
0: mm-hmm. some city parks, they actually have a wall yeah. in the middle of like a tennis court, and yeah. it's for handball. Yeah. It's it's yeah. doing
1: a handball, stickball, half ball. That was a fun one when your ball rips in half. Oh, no. You can only use half a ball, so you play with half the ball, nice. and you make up rules about it. So, nice. yeah, you get a lot of fun games in the city. But, yeah, I grew up in Philadelphia. Um, lived there for um, really adolescent through through teenage years. Like I said, my dad was a... He was helping to plant a church. Um, somewhere around the time I was like five or six, I think the church um, had a. I don't. I don't know if it was so much of a split, mm. or the 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 pastor there stepped down. Okay.
0: Um, the lead pastor. The lead
1: pastor there stepped down, and I think a lot of people with him left. Mm. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't as though he was being divisive and left. I think he had some family things going on that essentially. He, he moved off and said, I can't do this anymore. I think there's more to it. I'd have to ask my parents For about sure. it. But um, my dad stuck around and became the lead pastor of that church. Nice. But at the same time, um, he was he owned his own business. He was detailing and pinstriping cars mm. down in Westchester, Pennsylvania, which is, from where we live, probably a good 45, 50-minute oh, yeah, drive at least, if not more, depending on traffic. Um, so yeah, he was driving one way, own his own business, doing all this work. And, um, while also trying to pastor a church,
2: preaching every week, preaching
1: every week, wow. uh, Sunday school, Sunday night, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night. If I remember Wednesday nights, right. He wasn't able to make it because of work. Um, so most Wednesday nights, it was just my family. Nobody else ever okay. showed up. It was just literally my family. Nice. So did um, you guys pray or something? Um, we prayed. I remember being like five years old, standing up and be like, "I'm going to preach this week." Nice. <laughs> Did you that's preach? Yeah. That's awesome. So like, I'd have him open up the Genesis one one and be like, "God created the heavens <laughs> and the earth," and then be like, "God's creator," and then sit down. Nice. I didn't have anything to say. I was five. There was your sermon. Um, yeah. So it was kind of from the early stages on. It was like, I'm going to be a preacher like my dad. I guess yeah, that was cool. kind of the the mentality. So, yeah, um, stayed in the Philly area for. Uh, until I was about 15 or 16, I don't quite remember. Okay. The last couple of years of high school, we actually moved to to Delaware, um, Lower Delaware, uh, which was a huge change. You're going from living in a city to, like, looking out of your window and there's a chicken coop across mm. the street.
0: <laughs> so your Philly environment, was it a lot of concrete or was there grass and yards? Uh, and I
1: mean, there was a little patch of grass.
0: Just a little one. Yeah, okay. but, I mean, it was
1: all concrete, like— when you went outside to play, you were playing in the street. Like yeah. we, would play, uh, we would play hockey, we would play football, everything was in the street. Would you go, car? Yeah, and everybody <laughs> have to move. Um, you would check people into cars. Oh, yeah. um, that was the kind of like the boundary. So yeah, you played everything in the street.
2: You, yeah, um, or, yeah, yeah.
1: The, or if somebody had like a big enough driveway, um, not like a <laughs> typical suburban driveway, but like in Philly, everything's row homes. So you have a set of row homes and the street, and behind the row homes is an is kind of like an alleyway, yeah. like a driveway, yeah. and then it's the back of the other set of row homes, and that's just how every street yeah. is all the way down. So, um, so yeah, we would play play in the play in the driveway. We'd annoy some neighbors. Um, I remember being at a friend's house once, who uh, he we were out back playing basketball in the driveway the neighbors were trying to take a nap on like a saturday morning or saturday afternoon and weren't happy with us making noise so he came out and popped our basketball oh boo (laughs) the dudes my friend's dad comes out and just like busts the guy's garage door windows in (laughs) it's like yeah that's just the rowdy neighborhood yeah just the way it is like that's just life
0: you Um, still like the flyers
1: Still like the Flyers, Uh-oh. yeah. All Dang. Philly sports teams. Uh, yeah. All right, we won't All get Philly into that right now. All sports <laughs> teams. But yeah, I mean, growing up, like the first house we lived in in Philly, I can remember walking across the street to a park and um, there just being drug needles sitting in the middle of the park. Like, just, yeah, you could run into... And that, that. was like your backyard. Yeah, that was the backyard. That's where we went and played every day. Um, it's just the nature of living among... Sure.
0: It was just normal to you. Yeah, just
1: normal. Yeah, I didn't think about it. But it was interesting because... Um, I went to a Christian school growing up. Uh, my parents didn't want me in public schools, mm-hmm. didn't want any of us in public schools. So we went to a Christian school that was outside of the city, outside mm-hmm. of the city, um, just a little north of the city, uh, and because there weren't any other Christian schools in in the neighborhood that we were that I was aware of that we could go to, um, there weren't really many Christian churches operating in our area of Philadelphia either. Um, So we actually went up to this school outside of the city and it never, I didn't really understand the dynamics at that point because people that I went to school with would never want to come visit me. Mm. And they were all the, they were all the suburban kids. There's nothing wrong with being from the suburbs. It's just life in the suburbs is different. But if I ask someone to come and visit me, it was always my parents won't let me.
2: Mm. You don't Um, understand why. And I don't
1: understand why. It's like, I don't know. It's a city. It's just. This, you you walk around, yeah, there's people who are doing whatever they're doing on the street, but whatever. It's fine. Like, right. Again, yeah, there's crime, but that's just the way it is. It's my background. It's life.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So, yeah, I mean, you had some just interesting dynamics of interacting with kids in the neighborhood, um, getting getting in trouble for stealing little Chromies off oh, of people's yeah. cars. Oh, yeah, steal Chromies yeah. off pedal bikes, cars. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, got caught by a guy with a truck. Yeah, and I was... Stupid enough at like six or seven years old to tell him where I lived. Should have just told. I wasn't streetwise back then. Right. Should have learned. um The other guy got off without. For those
0: coming. who don't know, chromies are little caps mm-hmm. for your tires. The valve to put air in your tires. Yeah. They're little chrome nobbies. Awesome. Yeah, I, I used to steal chromies all the time. I had a whole collection of them. <laughs> Some people put eight balls, like yep. little eight ball ones, eight balls, little, dice. Gems. Yeah, yeah, little dice. gems, yeah, yeah, all that
1: stuff. Oh, yeah. So yeah, the those 80s, were. Man. If you had those around you, they were getting jacked. Like you weren't, yeah, they were gone. <laughs> didn't last long. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, even if you had them on your bike, they didn't last yeah. long. Someone took them off of your yeah. pedal bike.
1: So yeah, I mean that was just just life growing up in the city. Um, you got just different dynamics, um, but it was interesting growing up in the home I grew up in because we were. Part of Independent Fundamental Baptists. I'm very conservative,
0: very strict. Um, How would you describe that in practice? Like, what would that look like on a Sunday?
1: Yeah, so everybody's coming in, suits and ties Mm. for the men, all the women wearing uh, long dresses, um, nothing above the knee for women. Could they wear makeup? Um, Yeah, they could wear makeup. Okay. Yeah. Um, But very conservative to the extent that, like, if if you were showing up without a suit and tie on, like, I I think for someone who wasn't a Christian, it would be expected that they wouldn't. But once you became a Christian, the expectation was you conform to these kind of standards. Mm. And it may not have been outwardly expressed initially, but there was a pressure there to conform to things. Um, The, the school I went to was um, at least initially like no pants on women Mm. at all. Um, even my my mom was against my sisters wearing pants until they were probably like ten, eleven, twelve, somewhere in there. It's the early nineties. Early nineties, okay. yeah. Um, but that was the desire was you don't you don't wear pants. And I think that came from like my parents. They were both first generation Christians. Grew up in Philly, um, where I had some restrictions and was placed in a bit of a bubble. They didn't have mm. that,
0: so, so they were overcorrecting, kind of.
1: Yeah. So they they were. I mean, from their childhood, by the time they were six, they weren't stealing chromies. Right. They were like getting into some really bad stuff, right. um, and just continued that through high school, through high school. And I think my mom became a Christian in early college. Okay. Um, so they were both first generation Christians, got into fundamentalism, and were just taught certain ways of how to be and how to live. Yeah. Um, and this is what Christians did. And to do anything otherwise was compromise. Mm. And so I think that was indo- indoctrinated them pretty early on in their Christian faith to where they they kind of brought that into the way they, they parented. And um, they've even said, like my mom has even said, like, I didn't know, like I didn't have an example of what mm. to do. My parents right. weren't Christians. They didn't show me how to do anything. Right. So I was just kind of trying to figure this out with five little... Kids running
0: around right. in the city. And in the, in, the, in the late 80s and early 90s, there wasn't the, the internet access Ugh. to good teaching. Yeah. And, and if you wanted to, you had to buy teaching. Mm-hmm. Like when I first became a Christian in the, in the early 2000s, late 90s, like 99, 2000, 2001, you had to buy all the teaching. Yeah. Like you had to buy a tape or you had to buy a CD series, just like you had to buy yep. a book. So it wasn't as easy to get a hold of good, other than yep. your church context teaching. Yeah. Yeah, and within
1: within fundamentalism, like I said, we'll we'll dig into more of that later, probably. But there's there's this idea that you don't you don't read and engage outside of fundamentalism. Mm. So you you simply avoid the quote compromising people. So if if there's somebody who writes on certain things but they don't line up with fundamentalist teaching, you don't read them. Yeah. You don't engage with them. Yeah, that's
0: the doctrine of separation? Is that what it would it's be kind of, It's
1: kind of fits into separation, okay. but it's there's this perception of you don't want to be stained by the world. You don't, Come out
0: and be ye separate. Yeah,
1: be ye separate. So like you don't want to be stained by the sin of the world. Mm. And anyone who is a, quote, Christian, but is... Um, not lining up with fundamentalist ideology is compromising the gospel, and so we would like they would call into question someone who was a perhaps a Christian, but maybe didn't believe like them. So I grew up thinking Presbyterians weren't Christians. Oh wow, um, that's kind of what I what I was taught growing up was like they have this different and and as I grew into them, like wait, they just have like a different church polity. They mm. Just believe, like there's some different things that they they teach, obviously that I don't agree with, but the they're Christians, yeah. um, but growing up it was like, no, they can't be Christians because they're not independent fundamental Baptists. Mm. So very sectarian. Yes, absolutely, and I think it it stems from a a poor view of sin. Mm. Um, the The idea and and what was kind of taught was sin is something that's out there that you need to stay away from.
2: Mm. It's
0: in the world. Yeah,
1: and so the more you can distance yourself from that, the better your kids will be. The better your life will be. Is that taught as promise? Things? What's that?
0: Is that taught as promise? Like Yeah. Okay. Uh,
1: I, I would say it's probably not consistently. The the interesting thing about independent Baptist churches is while they're all similar in nature, there are some nuances to it. Like you have there's a spectrum within fundamentalism gotcha. where you can find some who I would say would lean towards being more um, biblical and, and not necessarily gospel centered, but kind of Trending towards that way, gotcha. and others who their whole life is like two issues: King James only, and just basically yelling loudly from the pulpit.
0: <laughs> um, like those are the two things. So I've heard stories of people coming in and preaching in those churches, and then being like, "You got to use the King James. Like you can't preach from yeah. the NIV. You yeah. can't preach from the New." Yeah, American I grew up standard. in King
1: James only church. Um, like even, um, I think it was. Probably only recently, um, within maybe the last decade or so, where I think my dad probably started to not be... I think they both still use the King James. Sure, if not, you grew up on that, it's kind of nostalgic. Not like, dogmatic about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I remember going to conferences where that was the... You preach from the King James, everything was the King James, going to... Teen revival conference where they're smashing a TV with a sledgehammer. (laughs) Um, Yeah, like no, no, that's a joke. Because it's the devil. Yeah, yeah. the devil. Yeah, the TV is the devil. Um, So yeah, it's this this idea of sin is out there. So if you want to raise good kids, you keep them away from the the people on the streets. So in Mm. this in my city context, you don't let them go hang out on the corner. Now nothing good's coming out from kids hanging out on the corner. but the idea was like you, you just – the reason that I stole Chromies was because the guy down the street that I stole them with like influenced me to yeah. do it. And I don't know if he influenced me or not. I was like, I see Chromies. I steal right, Chromies. Yeah. That's what I do.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I break the fence to get the shortcut over to the Seven Eleven because I don't feel like walking around the block to get right. to the 7 I just break through the fence and I get yelled at and then I run from the guy who's yelling at me. Like I don't know of any that, – that wasn't like – obviously you're influenced by the people you're around mm-hmm. but – there's definitely elements of your heart that's full of sin that Mm -hmm. I don't think gets addressed. It's a lot within, within that framework, it's a lot of outward adherence to certain expectations and standards Mm -hmm. essentially. So yeah, I grew up in the city, went to a suburban school. Um, I said, I was probably there until 15 or 16. And in that time, so my dad was pastoring a church while he was working full time. Um, and owned his, own, he was owning his own business. So I remember his his schedule being basically leaving the house, I believe, around like five o'clock, not getting back until midnight, because he was doing this all on his own. Man, um, and then the church we were at was not one that was self sustaining. So I don't think he was getting much by way of any income from mm. them. Um,
0: but That's it, not sustainable, man.
1: No, and eventually got to the point where he left that church. Um, and actually closed his business down as well. It was just none of it was really working. Went and started working for a few years. Um, and then after I think maybe three or four years of that, wanted to get back into doing pastoral ministry. Um, and when and we moved from Philadelphia to Delaware, hmm. and like I said, from city to chicken coops. Um, that's a
0: that's a shocker, right? Like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, so moved down there took a small church, and uh, the I, from my vantage point as a teenager, like I didn't want to move, um, but also looking back on things like I don't think the church did well and right by my dad and mm-hmm. my parents, so they came down there under a certain expectation of being paid a certain salary, like certain things that were in place, and then within I think a month or two, they were like, "No we can't pay you that anymore and like just cut. Mm. Is paying half, so my mom had to go back to work. Oh, my dad had to work after
0: moving your whole family. After moving
1: the whole family, like um, they sold their house for a loss to get out of the house. Like there was just a lot of things in there that uh, I think were were problematic. And so we spent I think about three three years or so there. I don't mm. I don't exactly remember how long. Still going to a Christian school. Graduated from the school in um, Salisbury, Maryland. So this was right on the border. Um, and my dad—and so when I went off to college, um, my dad moved the family to a church in Michigan. Okay. He took a church in Michigan and was there for— But you weren't there. You were years. in college. I was in college at okay. the time. Yeah. How long? Um, he was there about 12 years or wow.
0: so. Wow. So, independent Fundamental yeah. Baptist?
1: Yeah, Independent Fundamental Baptist. Oh. Yeah, all, all through, always. always hmm. Still? Family. Um the church or my dad or my your parents. dad
0: your, your parents. um i
1: think they still go to a fun fundam- they still go to a fundamentalist church um but i think they've kind of moved away from some of that in gotcha. a lot of ways yeah.
0: so wendy in that process where do you think you were born again or was it college when did yeah you think that so event happened? um
1: i can recall a time obviously when i was young like you're involved with the church you're a pastor's kid you have all the right answers sure. like Somebody asks a question in Sunday school, you have the right answer. Mm-hmm. Somebody asks a question in junior church, you have the right answer. Um, but I don't think I ever fully like grasped or understood um, the gospel as something that saved me until I was about twelve or thirteen.
2: Okay.
0: Um, and from there, was there an event? Was were you reading your Bible? Was there? A- yeah.
1: So I was actually at a Christian camp. Okay. Um, and during one of the messages, I ended up. Going and talking to one of the counselors there, and uh, and even then I didn't fully grasp like what does the gospel mean for my life. But I think it was that point in time. Like if you were talking, when did union with Christ happen? When did justification happen? I think it happened regeneration. Yeah, all those things happened at that point in time. But then through the the progress of okay, how does how does life change? Even through teen years, like I I definitely. Felt and experienced conviction of sin mm. and the need to repent. Um, but as I think most Christian teenagers tend to be like, I went through periods of just not, not being interested in things of the church, things of the Bible. Um, really went through a period of just not really caring, being fairly disrespectful to my parents and what they wanted. Um, and... I would say I wouldn't say like living in like outright rebellion. Like mm-hmm. I didn't outwardly get into a ton of crazy stuff where I was like going
0: like you were I like selling drugs. Yeah,
1: yeah, I wasn't uh, doing anything like that. I mean, there's people I knew that were sure. getting involved into sexual sins, selling drugs, mm-hmm. doing a bunch of different things. But I never really got into a ton of that type of stuff. Um, there probably was an opportunity for it. Gotcha. I don't know if I would have if. If I had pursued it, I probably could have found it pretty easily. But at the same time, I was not one to... uh It's not that I wasn't outwardly disrespectful in some ways. It just wasn't like... I would rather just go work in the summers than go do stupid stuff with a bunch of people. Um, And even being like living in Delaware through some of my teen years, like we didn't live around any of my friends down there everything was I mean you were driving 45 minutes to get to school you mm. were driving 45 so minutes to get pretty
0: in. isolated oh yeah
1: you're it's completely rural like you're mm. not around anybody
0: so it might have been a gift
1: yeah and in a way it probably was because you had components where if I think I stayed within the city environment I could have probably sure. jumped into things that I otherwise didn't so yeah.
0: yeah so i was not in the city and and my neighborhood was like a, a tight little community within a larger community Mm -hmm. and all my friends were their parents were on drugs and their uncles sold drugs and like you know and I got all caught up in that because it was all around me and I you know so yeah I I think that sometimes those though from the perspective of a young teen you're like this is terrible you know Mm -hmm. looking back it's grace
1: yeah yeah I I really think that um and but inwardly I think in my heart, I was still like, this is stupid. Like, I still felt conviction over sin. I felt conviction over the things I was thinking, Mm -hmm. the way I was living. But it wasn't so much... But even in that, I was like, this is just dumb. Some of it, I think, was just a rebellion against rules. Um, I've never been one to, like, follow the line with everything. You're not
2: a
0: compliant. No, I'm not.
1: I can put on a front. And I was able to do that to get myself through school, to not get in trouble. But... Like even the one of the last things I did as a high school senior was I was handed a test in a math class, the very last day of school, um, in a class that I mean still to this day it was a waste of time, um, but I didn't want to take the test. I thought it was dumb. I'm like, this is my last day of my last year of high school. Why do I have to take this test that you didn't even tell us was happening? It's like he just showed. I was like, pop test. So. Instead of uh, actually taking the test, there was lines for our answers, what we were supposed to write in. So I just wrote, like, basically each line was a word that spelled out a sentence in a couple paragraphs of what I thought about the class and what I thought about what was going on. It almost got me, like, kicked out of school. Was it graded? Um, Was it like a... I mean, I got a zero on it. But it was just like, this was a worthless class. The teacher didn't teach us anything. This was a waste of my time. Um, yeah, I mean, I was the type that going to a small Christian school, you kind of, the the school has to do what they can to like fill in teachers and different things. And, um, so I was the type to point out that like the guy teaching our history class doesn't have a degree in history and vocalize that to the rest of the class. Like, wow, you think kind of of discredited, you think our teachers would actually have degrees type of thing. And yeah, that got me in a lot of trouble. (laughs) Um, So I had this, I had this element of like, I'm not conforming to these standards, like if you can't give me a reason why I need to, it's just dumb, and mm-hmm. I don't, and I'm not following it. Um, and so that's kind of how I was. I was very independent as a kid. Um, the middle of five, oh, so, yeah. like, I just oh, kind of yeah. did my own thing, and got pretty good at like self sufficiency in a lot of ways. Um, and so if something didn't make sense to me, I wasn't going to just follow it blindly. Yeah. Um, like I said, I could put on a front when I needed to, but I wasn't just going to follow it along and say. Yeah, this is great. And so I think that's why even early on, getting back a bit to fundamentalism, I was very skeptical of things. Mm. And I, Like, why
0: are we doing this? Why are we not yeah, wearing why pants? Is, why yeah, are why we this, exactly. suiting it up? Why? Yeah,
1: like this doesn't make sense to me. Um, and when I would ask questions, no one would give me answers. And, um, and so I think part of that, I I just rebelled against the system and structure that mm. I was in. And it wasn't until I got to college um, and actually started reading stuff from like John Piper and people that I'd never been exposed to before and engaging with guys in college. I went, I went to a Christian college as well, engaging guys in college who like their faith seemed a bit different than what I was used to. Um, even within the structure of fundamentalist Christian college. So it
0: was a fundamentalist, was a Christian, fundamentalist Christian college. you college. went to. College. Yeah. Same kind of regulations and mm-hmm. rules, dress code, King James only all that.
1: Yeah. So, uh, the, the the faculty wasn't King James only, but okay. you had to teach King James. Like you had to use the King James in the classrooms. Um, even so far as the well, the Greek professor actually chose to use. Um, we won't get into textual criticism because I don't think anybody cares <laughs> to hear me talk about textual criticism. But basically, he was using Greek texts that wouldn't have been supported by King James people. Mm. Um, so the I think the administration the the staff. Everything on the outward was, we're King James school. Uh, not as conservative as some, but the, most of the faculty, at least the Bible faculty that I interacted with the most, they were not King James only. Okay. Um, but yeah, super conservative, like you had to wear, tie to class every day, had to have your hair cut a certain way, hair had to be off the ears, you couldn't have any facial hair.
0: Male only? Um,
1: No, it was male and female.
0: Okay, but they were very separate, right? Yeah, so
1: women, they had their side of campus. Guys couldn't go on that side of campus. Guys had their side of campus. Girls couldn't go over. What happened if they did? Um, You would get in trouble, um, depending on what exactly happened. I mean, I remember one time my freshman year, I had some friends come visit us from high school, and there was a couple of girls in the group, and all I did was walk over to that side to say bye to them because they were about to leave, and I remember being like reprimanded wow. and told you're not allowed to do that. Like, so how am I supposed to, be? I'm just saying bye. Right. Um, if you were going to the gym to work out, you, uh, you couldn't walk to the gym in shorts as a guy. You could, you could have shorts on while you were working out, but you couldn't walk to the gym. So you had to change at, so the, gym, change at yeah. the gym. Man. Guys and girls couldn't be in the gym at the same time. Um, yeah. A lot of different rules like that. I think after I left, they came out with a shoe chart that said like <laughs> when you were supposed to wear shoes. <laughs> Are you joking? No, I'm being oh, serious. Okay. Wow. Yeah, like this event required these shoes. This event required Man. these types of shoes. You couldn't wear like – I remember getting yelled at freshman year because I was wearing um like athletic pants, like just like sweatpants yeah. kind of thing. And you weren't allowed to wear sweatpants, Um, which I
0: – So did they also do the no movies, no, no movies. secular music? Yeah, none of that. No smoking, any kind of leaves? Nothing. Not Nothing. even ones that would not get you high. Yeah, no, no smoking. No alcohol. No,
1: absolutely not. Yeah, no alcohol, no smoking, um, no movies. Yeah, any of that type of stuff. Like we, I don't think we were allowed to watch, even if we went to someone's house, we couldn't watch an R-rated movie. Um, maybe even PG-13, I don't recall.
0: From the college's standpoint? From the college's or? standpoint. So that was maybe. in their
2: handbook, mm-hmm. like their rules. Wow.
1: Yeah, so when you signed up, you were signing up for a lot more than just an education mm. Um you you were signing up to, for the next four years, you're living in this kind of lifestyle. But you were used to this. Yeah, I mean, that's what I grew up in. So like I said, I could conform to it. Like I had guys that I interacted with that they were not used to that at all. And so they they were blown away by like, wait, you mean I can't do this? I can't do I'll this? Bet. I can't watch a movie? No, you can't watch a movie. And even in school, I, I got to the point where um, my junior and senior year, I was a residence assistant. So I was like... In charge of certain floors of the dorm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we had lights out. Like, you had to have your lights out a certain time. Curfew. Cur- yeah. what time. So, you had to be in in the dorm by 10. Was it in the dorm by 10 and lights out by 11? I mm-hmm. think that's what it was. Um,
0: did you ever report
1: anyone? Um, I'm trying to think of if I did. No, I can't recall okay. ever doing it. Um, so for the most lenient
0: part, RA. Yeah,
1: I was one that generally, like, If you were struggling to follow rules, I would just kind of try to level with you. Like, what's going on? Like, do I want to give you demerits as a 22 year old? (laughs) No, I don't want to give you demerits. Um, So, like, work with me. I'll work with you. We'll figure this out together. Um, It probably, like, I don't know how that came across to other people, but yeah, I wasn't super strict about it.
0: Before we leave your childhood, you told me a story one time. We were talking about struggles with children and getting to church. And you said that you and your brothers would get into <laughs> fights <laughs> oh, on the yeah. way to church and then your dad would have to preach.
1: Yeah. So I, I think it was this either Sunday morning or Sunday night. Um, the one that I can recall like vividly, um, we're in a minivan driving down uh, five kids in the car, me and my older brother getting in a fight. Um, I'm punching him. He's <laughs> punching me. Um, so yeah, my dad has to preach. And I remember walking into the bathroom of the building and like my lip and my nose are just all bleeding <laughs> like, yeah, it's just how uh, yeah it's
0: fantastic pastoral yeah. life it yeah. doesn't get a lot of air time right yeah no
1: i mean we were yeah growing up in that environment i don't think we were like your prototypical pastor's kids like there's a expectation when you grow up in a, a pastor's home like the kids are operating and being a certain way mm-hmm. like there's no room for grace with the
0: 12 year old kid who's punching his 16 year old brother in the head. Um, I just can't imagine like your dad, you know, going up and preaching after that car ride. Like you just,
1: yeah, I don't know. I, I think it was an, it was a regular occurrence. Like
0: you guys always fighting,
1: fighting was just a regular part of like our home was not quiet
0: ever. Um, Or especially on Sundays
1: ever. Mm. Um, Sundays, yeah, I, I mean, I was I was a lazy type when I was a kid, so I was sleeping in until the last possible gotcha. minute. So there may have been arguing. Like there, I would usually wake up, grab some clothes out of the closet, and I didn't know how to iron at that point, so I'd stick them on the ironing before my mom and go back to bed. Nice. Um, because I was usually up until, like, on a Saturday night, I would have been up until, like, 2, 3 in the morning just doing stupid stuff. Um,
0: not but, reading the King James. Not reading the King James
1: Bible, <laughs> No. Um, watching old wrestling back nice. from back in the day. Nice. Watching wrestling.
0: Yeah. So if anyone wants to have old school wrestling, this, old school wrestling. Yeah, yeah. I can you. have
1: old school wrestling back yeah. in the Hulk Hogan, Ultimate mm. Warrior days. Yeah. Um, Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah, all that stuff. Jake the Snake. When it was fun. Um, but yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, just that. Where our house was not one that was like pristine and quiet and. Reserved. I mean, you had parts of like my little sister was pretty to herself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, everybody. We fought constantly. Um, there was the constant spirit of just kind of everybody was at each other all yeah. the time. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: I I just to pause here for a minute. I, there's a I think there's a an a special assault on pastoral families what from great, Satan, mm-hmm. and if. If the lead preaching pastor could be upset and the family could be upset, mm-hmm. then the word in some sense is hindered. Sure. You know, not the word itself, but like, you know, the one bringing the word, if if he's all frazzled and just came out of yeah. a fist fight with his kids, it's going to be a little harder to preach yeah. that message.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and I and we've experienced that in our home. Like it's mm-hmm. been Sundays, thankfully recently, not so much, but have been, you know, fight like. We got ministry to do, and we got, you know, and, and the home's just going crazy. And it's like, what day is it? Sunday. Snap. You know? Yeah.
1: yeah. No, I I absolutely think that. And it's it's so interesting because, at least within the tradition I grew up in, and I don't know if it's like this the other Christian traditions, but there is an expectation, like, the, the pastor's family is a certain way, like... You can't have fighting. You
0: like, It's unrealistic expectations. Yeah,
1: it needs to just be the... Pr- it's almost like a military home where mm. everybody just behaves and operates a certain way. And even if they just... Everything outwardly looks good, like, on the inside, everything's still just trash. Mm. And um, I, I, growing up, I never got the sense that anybody cared about that. Like, no one I remember preaching. Um, and when my dad was a pastor... When I was younger, I didn't... I mean, I didn't really recall everything he was preaching. And as a teenager, I was more like, this is just stupid. Like, I don't feel like being here. Um, But in youth groups I was a part of, in different activities in, like, the school that I went to, I I don't ever recall anyone speaking to, like, here's what your heart is like, Mm. and here's how your heart can change. It was a lot of, especially as a teenager, um, don't have sex, don't drink alcohol, don't do drugs... Very external. Very all external. Everything was about outward conformity Mm -hmm. to a standard, Um, and yeah, and it's sad because I think you do see spiritual pressure on pastors' families and and pastors' kids that's put on from the church
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and and members of the church that you have to be a certain way, Mm -hmm. and I I don't necessarily think they're like tools of Satan. But I think it, it feeds into this dynamic of, like, Satan's attacking from one direction, and then you've got people in the church that are supposed yeah, to be your allies. Yeah, just from expectation and pressure. Yeah, yeah. who are like, yeah. you have to be a certain way. Yeah. And, I mean, every kid's different growing mm-hmm. up. But some kids that, I mean, I've seen in my own family, like they, they break under that. Like, mm. they just they abandon their faith and they walk away. And I, I don't think that's ultimately the fault of, like, my parents. Right, I think right. somebody's own heart draws them to, no to sin. So yeah. I don't think the... Them them leaving their faith is not the responsibility of anyone else. Right. Their own, they stand before God one day on their own for the choices that they made in their yeah. lives. But it just it's just an interesting dynamic because every kid is different. Where I was like, I'm comfortable being independent. I'm comfortable you leaving me alone, and I will just kind of do my own thing and at some point figure out life on my set for myself. Not all my siblings had that same mm-hmm. type of mindset, and so it's tough when. You see ministry stuff all seem to get in the way of the role of dad and mom, where it's like, oh, they have to go do ministry stuff. And meanwhile, I'm left here mm. and not getting the attention I think I need to get mm. as a kid. And like you said, whereas I was, all right, just leave me alone.
0: But, but <laughs> your one other, siblings but not other siblings, not siblings so much. weren't as comfortable yeah. with that. Yeah. yeah. man. So did you meet Elizabeth in college? Was it after college?
1: Yeah, so we met in college. Um, I think it was my sophomore year. But this is year. not seminary, right? Columbus, not seminary, like yeah. That. In in college. Okay. Um, met Elizabeth. Blind date. December 1st. Blind date? Who, who set
0: that up? 2009? No,
1: 2010. No, no, no. Way, way, way off. 2005, I think it was. Okay. Um, so it was a friend, mutual friend of ours. Um, still a good friend of mine. Um, that we went to college with, went to seminary with him. He knew Elizabeth, I didn't. Um,
0: was he like, hey, I got this fundamentalist girl, man?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, he was, he was one of those guys where um, I saw his faith as being much different than what I'd okay. seen before. So he's been a, a lifelong and good friend. Nice. Um, teaches at a seminary in Detroit. Oh, now. nice. Okay. Um, but he basically, I, I, the circumstances around it was I was actually sitting at a table with a few different individuals. And one of them asked if I was dating anyone or interested in anyone. I was like, no. Like my so my school life growing up, grew up in the city. My dad was a pastor, um, owned his own business, worked a little bit. Like we didn't have any money. Like we were just poor white family living mm-hmm. in Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, so school wise, I had to work through every year of college. Yeah. Um, So I was doing 16 to 18 credits per semester and probably working 25 to 30 hours a week. Nice. Just because I had to pay for everything. And so I didn't have much of a social life. I didn't really care. Like my job was to get an education and and move on. But I was sitting at um, either lunch or dinner with a group of people and somebody asked me. and I was like, I don't know. And there was a a girl there that just said, oh, I know someone that you should date. You should date Elizabeth. It's like, I have no idea who that is. So he said, ask Tim about it. Tim's my, my friend. And he was my dorm supervisor at the time. So I went and talked to Tim. And um, through the events of things, we ended up... It was interesting because in a small Christian college, uh, you everybody knows what everybody's doing. So it doesn't take long for things to like spread out. And um, Elizabeth probably has her side of it. But essentially, like a bunch of people from my dorm knew about the conversation I had with Tim. And they knew her, mm. so they were going up to her and saying, like, hey... She's in the same college? She's in the same college. Okay. Yeah, so they're going up to her in classes and talking about me, and she doesn't know who I am. And I really don't know who, who she she is at all. Um, so eventually one day, a, <laughs> a guy in our dorm said something to her about, like, you know, Pete really likes you. He just is kind of nervous about asking you out. And I, I never said that. It wasn't something I said. So she said to him... Well, if he was man enough, he would call me. Oh, man. And so the guy reports back to me, which wasn't prompted. Like, nobody asked him to do this. He says, she's just waiting for you to call. Um, So so I was like, all right, fine. I'll give her a call. So that night I called her. Um, I'm pretty sure she cried um, because she grew up in a – she can tell her story better than I could. But she grew up in a fairly strict background too and was like, I shouldn't be going out on dates with guys. Um, Was – how she kind of grew up essentially yeah. so i think she we talked on the phone she cried but we ended up agreeing to meet in the uh the dining hall of the college nice. and you walk in well it was a funny story it was december so they had christmas decorations up trees in the lobby area and we were supposed to meet in the lobby so i walked in and sat down um on one side of the lobby because she walked in and sat down on the other side and we were supposed to meet at five o'clock and I'm pretty sure we didn't end up realizing each other were there until about like five ten, nice. or so. So we both thought we were getting stood up, um, which was fun. But we ended up going out, had a uh, had a decent time. And I was again not interested. Like that wasn't the lane I was in. Like I wasn't pursuing we relationship. Or I was school and work. That yeah. was that was my life at that point. So made some weird missteps along the way. Um, but we really got to know each other through talking on the phone through Christmas break. Um, so we talked regularly through that time. I eventually went down to visit her and her family, um, and drove her back to the next semester of school. From which
0: part of the state?
1: So she, so we were living in Michigan at the time. That was after my dad had moved up to take that church in Michigan. Um, she was living in the Chicago area. Gotcha. So I swung down, picked her up and we went back to school in Wisconsin.
0: Nice. Yeah.
1: Nice, man. So we met there, um, had a number of number of years of dating and engagement. Um, and I got married in 2008.
0: Nice. And you guys had a similar background yeah. in fundamentalism. It might've looked different yeah. as far as the distinctives, but so you guys understood the, mm-hmm. the, the, the past struggle, if you yeah. will. Like, yeah. yeah. So
1: yeah, we both came from similar backgrounds, um, similar ID ideas of like just outward standards and, and things like that. Yeah. Like you put yourself into certain places. Um, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but I remember Elizabeth saying at one point um, after we'd gotten married, like you'll never you'll never catch me dead in pants at a church, <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> which, awesome. which has changed quite a bit. <laughs> yes. um, but yeah, that, yeah, so we're both in that, that same flavor, American, that same background. Yeah. Mine may have been a bit more. Um, I would say a bit more extreme. They're so very much in, not necessarily, but I think where the school I went to, especially in like elementary and beginning stages of high school, um, where they were smashing TVs and doing stuff like that, they were like pretty, pretty out there in terms of um, the, how strict and conservative they actually were. But yeah, we both came from the same, same environment essentially. Which is
0: helpful, I think, to, um, so how did you go from college To seminary, Like, did you feel, like, was there a sense of calling? Did you just, hey, my dad was a pastor. I would like to do this. Like, what was the thought process? Yeah,
1: so I actually started going to college with no intention of being a pastor. Um, What were you going for? I started in business. Okay. And um, ironically enough, and we'll get to that at some point, I found I didn't really enjoy it very much. Mm. Um, And now I've spent 10 plus years in the business world working in finance. Um, so...
0: Ironic. <laughs> yeah, ironic.
1: Um, but it wasn't until later half of my freshman year, sophomore year, I was like, no, I want to study the Bible. Um, something that I would had not, I wouldn't say necessarily a, a calling towards, okay. but a, a thought that I wanted to do even in high school. Um, and within, I, I think it's like this in other Christian traditions, but within fundamentalism, at least from my experience... There's almost two classes of people. There's those who pursue ministry and those who don't. Mm. And so you're... Kind of you're, secular,
2: sacred divide. You're
1: kind of pressured into like... Well, I mean, you you can go and be the electrician or the plumber, but if you really want to be holy, mm. you'll go be a pastor. Um, so there was that pressure even from a young age that I can remember um, going to preacher boy clubs at school and stuff like really? that. Really? Yeah.
2: Oh, man. Um,
0: teaching you how to preach when you're 10. No way. Yeah. <laughs> See, well, you were preaching from Genesis one Genesis five. 1, yeah. So, um, so
1: yeah, there's that, there's that pressure to, to head in that direction. Um, and I did feel um, even within like growing and growing in my faith in college, like a desire to care for people, a desire to um, use my gifts for the church and learn within the church framework and just started to have a growing passion for what the church was and, yeah. and everything. And so felt like in college, um, I'd had a good foundation of things and I needed to kind of continue to grow in my ability to learn and my ability to study through seminary. Now, looking back, I think if I'd, I would have done it differently, um, I probably would have stuck with a degree in business or finance or something in that realm. And then still pursued seminary Gotcha. But initially my thought was, if I'm going to be a pastor, I should probably start to learn more about the Bible.
0: So what seminary did you go to?
1: So I went to the same seminary my dad went to, um, Calvary Theological Seminary in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. Um, And by the time I got there, they were much different than when my dad was there. Um, They would still probably loosely fit within the fundamentalist framework, but they were much more inviting of which you would call, I guess, conservative evangelicalism. Um, Reform? um, Heading towards more of a reform background. So fundamentalism is traditionally not reformed at all. It's um, very much anti-Calvin, anti-Calvinist.
2: Anti-predestination.
0: Anti-predestination, Unless God foresaw that you would choose him. Yeah, I still have arguments
1: about it with my mom all the time. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so they were kind of trending in that direction. They brought in a few professors who were... Re, who recently they, they brought in a couple of new professors when I started going there, that were definitely more in the reformed camp of things, dispensational uh, in their approach. To explain
0: spiritual. that for laymen who aren't yeah. familiar. Covenant so dispensational.
1: Um, it's it basically comes down to hermeneutics. It comes down to how do you interpret. Okay. How do you interpret the Bible? Uh, sorry, I'm going <laughs> to probably use a bunch of big words. Okay. I'll try to explain all of them. Um, it comes down to how you interpret the Bible. What is your theory of interpretation of the Bible? So, covenant theology, um, which is predominantly used by those who are more in the Reformed faith. Mm-hmm. Um, R.C. Sproul is probably the most famous of the classic covenant theologians. Mm-hmm. Um, they would view they view the Scriptures through covenant of works, covenant of grace, and and all the the history of Scripture from Adam all the way through to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then through the church is seen through covenants, Mm -hmm. essentially. Promises. Promises, Promises, exactly. So God is covenanting with his people Mm -hmm. through that time. Whereas dispensationalists take a um, more segmented approach where God's... God's working through history is in these different quote dispensations,
0: mm-hmm. of different time, time periods, and doing period. different things with yeah. different people. So
1: there was a a point in time where he was interacting with David or interacting with Adam. That's different than when he interacted with Noah. That's mm-hmm. different than when he interacted with Abraham. And so and then there's, the kings, and then, and then the kings yeah. and David, and eventually you get to to Jesus, and um, you, then you have the dispensation of the church, and then the yeah. end times of pre tribulational rapture, tribulation. Thousand year literal reign, all that stuff, mm-hmm. um,
0: which is still embedded in you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> not the not the not the rapture part, okay? Um, but the pre tribulate or the pre premillennial position, gotcha. yeah. But um, but yeah, so you basically see things through these dispensations, and as more time goes on, God reveals Himself more. Mm. Um, the The problems you have inherent with some of that within dispensationalism, at least classical dispensationalism, is you end up in a place where there's two peoples of God because they believe in a, a literal Israel yep. that Israel will come back as a literal, 11, literal kingdom one yep. day, yep. Um, and so you started to see this um, this growth within dispensational to say, well, you have this literal Israel, this kingdom, like this yeah. actual ethnic Jewish, ethnic Jewish kingdom, chosen people exactly. of God. Yep. Um, but then you have the church, mm-hmm. and there's no real way to fit them together. Within dispensational framework, mm-hmm. and so you end up with a an eternal state. So when all things are said and done, um, millennium's over. Jesus comes back. Second second coming of Christ happens. Um, you end up with two distinct peoples of God mm-hmm. um, because they believe that all of the um, all the blessings of Abraham. So every all the in the covenant of Abraham, all the things about the
0: the land, the land
1: all those things mm-hmm. are literal promises that will be fulfilled at some point mm-hmm. in time for the people of Israel. For Jews,
0: yeah. For Jews. And, and interestingly, even someone like Charles Hodge, who is Princeton, Presbyterian theologian, on Romans eleven twenty five, without being dispensational, can still say, this is talking about ethnic Israel.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, uh, then all Israel will be saved after the last Gentile comes in, you know after the last elect Gentile is believing then boom there's going to be this massive revival of Jewish people, so it's not exclusive to mm-hmm. dispensational theology, yeah because Hodge clearly was not dispensational, sure yeah, yeah.
1: and it, dispensationalism has grown over the years too like there's a classical dispensationalism um, there's more of a contemporary dispensationalism that gets more something they call progressive dispensationalism came out of Dallas theological mm. Seminary um, and there's, there's been kind of a even a move away from like your classical covenant theology to moving into more um, like a new covenantalism or uh, looking at looking at the kingdom and things differently than maybe a traditional covenant theologian mm-hmm. looked at
0: things. Yeah, there's, there's even Baptists now who could be covenant. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. don't have to be in the Presbyterian exactly. camp to be a covenant yeah. theologian. You can... Yeah. You know, and then we can argue that later, but so you're you're at the seminary. Mm-hmm. It's dispensational. Yep. Like Schofield dispensational?
1: No, they wouldn't be that okay. no, not that. Um old
0: school. Okay. In that way. John MacArthur once jokingly said in an old tape, man, he was like, Our hope is built on nothing less than Schofield's notes and moody press. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, Schofield was the uh, he was the Bible of choice for me as a kid. Oh is that right? Then you read the uh the first couple of verses of Janice and you're like, wait, he believes in the gap theory. Um, so it's an interesting thing because I don't believe that. So yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah.
0: So you're in seminary yep. and you're going for preaching pastor. Was that the lane of ministry you were approaching?
1: So it, it's always been an interesting navigation for me in terms of ministry. And like, where did, where did I see God like having me in role in the church? So, um, I've always struggled with this idea of being, like, quote, a lead pastor. Um, I I can't say I've ever seen myself full-time doing pastoral work. Mm. Um, even through seminary, as I'm learning this stuff, it, it never was in my mind, like, this is what I'm going to be doing full-time for the rest of my life. Mm. Um, I've, I've consistently come back to I would rather be someone who is um, – Behind the scenes, doing stuff, using gifts where I can, preaching where I can, teaching where I can, um, but more supporting a a lead pastor of a church hmm, to, to go and do whatever a lead pastor would do. We'll have to have a conversation with you at some point okay. to discern all of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so in that time, I'm in seminary. Um, the goal was to learn this stuff and somehow use it.
0: Are we talking... Greek, Hebrew, mm-hmm. hermeneutics, yeah. preach homiletics, you know, yep. theology. All that stuff. Okay. Systematic
1: biblical theology. Um, systematic theology would be like you're your breaking down
0: of... This is what the Bible says about angels. Exactly. This is what the Bible says yeah. about election. Yeah. And, and, you know, someone like D.A. Carson just published the... Well, edited and helped to publish the biblical theology study Bible. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's interesting that, that you can identify biblical theology from a fundamentalist seminary that kind of biblical theology um so chapel you know
1: no so that was kind of coming like okay. the last couple of years i was there there was more of this flavor of finding christ in the old testament and tracing the tracing the history of the bible and seeing redemption through all of it mm-hmm. because prior to that The Old Testament was basically, at least for me, prior to really digging into that stuff and learning it, was um, essentially a manual for, like, how to do good or how to do bad. Um, You have your examples of people who do good. So, you know, go follow what uh, Caleb did in Joshua and destroy, like... Go get your mountain. I want yeah. that mountain. It belongs to me. That was an old hymn we used. To say. No way. Yeah. Um,
0: so, like, so as David slew Goliath by faith, you, you know, slew you. your giants. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So there wasn't an understanding of like David being this type of Christ mm-hmm. as evidence in the Old Testament, pointing to
0: the gospel. Yeah. Pointing to yeah. the gospel ultimately. Yeah. That's so interesting. Anyway, so you're 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 doing all the seminary work, mm-hmm. and and you're aiming at supportive role ministry.
1: Yeah. So some way of yeah whether that is in form of like lay eldership or um, part time part time eldership something like okay. that yeah that was kind of my where I was heading to and i i honestly didn't know like mm-hmm. I, I mean i remember having conversations with the the pastor of the church we were going to in, while we were going through, sem- while I was going through seminary and be like i really don't know like mm-hmm. i could walk out of seminary and never be a pastor like, that's a real possibility for me. Um, at the whole time that I was in seminary, I was also a part-time, a, like, part of an elder team, part of a pastoral okay. team for a church okay. as well. So, in even this whole framework. I'm like, preaching? Uh, I was preaching regularly, okay. probably every six weeks or so. Okay. Um, I wasn't the the lead Now, are pastor. you married in seminary? I was married. Okay. Married in 2008, went to seminary and started in 2008. Okay. Same year. Yep. Um, So, graduated from college in May, um, moved out to the Philadelphia area, found an apartment, got married in June, and then moved Elizabeth back out. So, between May 1st and, no, May 2nd is when I graduated, and June 7th of 2008, I moved to Philly, found an apartment, got a job, um, and had no idea what I was doing through any of it.
2: Mm.
0: (laughs)
1: And then got married. Wow. Um, And then went to seminary. Then then started seminary in the fall. Yeah. And during that time, I got a job working at a bank as a teller. Um, It wasn't PNC,
2: was it? It was not PNC. It was TD
1: Bank. Um, And it was... uh, I didn't end up working for PNC until I moved out to Pittsburgh. Okay. But, uh, yeah, it was... It was one of those things. I was like, it's going to pay the bills while I'm in seminary. Mm -hmm. And um, just kind of figuring out life there. Mm -hmm. Like, newly married... Um, Trying to just figure out how how are we going to live? Twenty two years old, and I have a wife and uh, and an apartment to pay for, and how am I going to do all this? And
0: school. And school. So are you are you now looking back? Are you regretful that you were in Philadelphia and you didn't go to Westminster?
1: Um, no, it's too expensive. Okay, I'm too cheap to get. Okay, spend five hundred bucks a credit hour on Westminster.
0: Um, you know, I took a credit with CCEF and it mm-hmm. was an online credit for 600 bucks <sighs> online. I'm too cheap. It That's was, so great I though.
1: went to those, none, the seminaries that yeah, don't have the people writing books. Mm. Um, but no, I mean, I, looking back, I probably could have, like, I a friend of mine went and got his PhD from Westminster. I know a number of people who went there. Um, Great seminary, great school. Yeah. I I can't say I regret it though. Okay. No, because I think if I had gone there, I wouldn't have wouldn't have been in the church that I was in. Um, I don't think I would have had the same relationships with a couple people from the yeah, seminary yeah. I went to that I that I have. Um, so no, I I can't say I regret it. Okay. I don't look back on anything with regret. Gotcha. Honestly, All right. um, I I have a a view of the providence and sovereignty of God that doesn't allow me to have many regrets.
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So okay. So you're you're married. You're in seminary. You graduate. How many years?
1: Uh, four years. MDiv. Uh, I actually did not get an MDiv. Okay. Um, so there's a whole backstory to all this okay. too. So I'm in seminary, um, working full time, and I'm pastoring part time. Okay. Um,
0: For like getting paid.
1: I was getting paid a small small salary. Okay. Yeah. Um, so living in Philly, working with the uh, working with a the church there, Living Hope Church in Philadelphia. Um, fundamentalist when I got there it was a fundamentalist church faith independent baptist church um when I left it was not faith independent Your baptist fault. church I'm get, I get blamed for it but it wasn't entirely my fault <laughs> um some of it was my fault okay. but um yeah not entirely but yeah I'm the guy who took the American flag down from oh, the front of the from the front of the auditorium area um I got rid of singing happy birthday in the middle of a Sunday morning gathering mm-hmm. um yeah, those types of things. Like People were
0: probably upset at you, man. My
1: influence, like we we dropped suits and ties, we changed some of our music around, um, and then that church ended up merging with Risen Christ Fellowship, which was Brian Davis and Shyland's. Oh yeah, yeah. Church. So they Dead went from servant. they went from independent Fundamental Baptist. Um, the sign on the front of the church said, "Preaching the Blood, the Book, and the Blessed Hope." Oh man! Um, to <laughs> to merging with a church with a pretty famous Christian hip hop.
0: Yeah, yeah, both of them. Both I mean them, Brian yeah. had some music out yeah. at the time too. And they were in lamp mode. That's an interesting story I'd like to, to dig into a bit. Yeah. Um, because Shy's a theologian, mm-hmm. you know, and Brian's a theologian. Um and and who was the pastor with you?
1: Uh his name was Frank latko
0: Okay. Was Frank. he a theologian as well?
1: Yes. Yeah. So he's um very studied, very learned. Um I would say one of, if not the most humble person I've ever mm. met in my life, um, to be pastoring a church and have some 22 year old kid, like want want to be a part of your church and do what he can, but just being like, Hey, do you want to share some preaching responsibilities? Mm. Like that's, that's not common in, in a lot of places. And it, I don't even know if I was ready for all of
0: it. Um, you gotta start somewhere.
1: Yeah, but I, I think he was able to like allow me to use use any gifts that I had, like just showed me really what it was to like being a pastor is caring for people, loving people, and I think that's what he did and did well.
0: Mm. How many people about
1: the um church? the church was probably about I'd say maybe like forty to forty five okay. people or so.
0: Okay. I think as a solo Lead pastor you can do that. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah,
1: I think that's possible. But um, yeah, came on and did did some work for them. Um, started in started there two thousand eight two thousand nine time frame. Um, two thousand, so I was working full time at the church and uh, doing school all at the same time. And seminary, uh, seminary, yeah, doing seminary, and uh, two thousand eleven comes along. And I'm not feeling well.
2: Like
1: mm. I'm just not. I was never a sick person. Never sick as a kid. Never really had much by way of uh, illness. I mean, I went. I had a throw up streak where I didn't throw up for like 14 years. Nice. It's beautiful.
0: Um, and you could. And you kept track.
1: <laughs> and I kept track. Yeah. Um, but I, I was just not feeling well. Um, had a ton of symptoms with things that. won't get too, too graphic, but just a ton of symptoms that, like, were just not common for Mm. me. And um, I eventually went to see a doctor. They sent me to a specialist and had to have some testing done. um, First colonoscopy at 25 Mm. and came back and said, you have Crohn's disease. Oh, man. So I'm doing all those things. Plus, they said, you have this disease that um, is basically, like, killing you. Um, so I kind That could be
0: stress-induced, right? It's an autoimmune disease.
1: So it's... So it can flare up with it stress. It can flare up with stress. Gotcha. But you, you kind of always have the underlying gotcha. elements. I mean, I could have had it for years for all I know, and it just never really came up. But when I got it, I was working about 60 to 65 hours a week for work because I was managing in a branch at that point taking classes um, and still doing stuff for the church. And so I think my body was and just married. like... And married. And married. And I think my body was just like, you're done. Mm. like you, You're not doing anything anymore. Um, so got diagnosed with Crohn's disease, went on some medication, and uh, things weren't going well. And eventually my doctor was like, you got to give up something. Like, you're doing too much.
0: Hopefully not pizza.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. No, no, actually, they told me to just eat junk um, because... Mm you have a hard time digesting like leafy vegetables mm-hmm. and stuff? So
2: like That's just avoid
1: all that stuff. Um, so I, what did you give up? I gave up school. Mm-hmm. So I got about an MDiv program program's ninety six credits, which is ridiculous to get a master's for ninety six credits. Um, like I'm, I'm in an MBA program right now, and it's forty eight. It's half the size of an mm-hmm. MDiv. Um, which if there's is that many, across the board? Pretty much. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're you're dealing with like ninety six credits. I think some schools have started to do. Um, where you can get your undergrad Bible degree and a graduate degree in, like, six years. As opposed to four years of undergrad, four years of seminary. Um, so, yeah, I got about, I would say, 65 to 70 credits in. And um, I had to stop. Mm. Like, I just couldn't handle it anymore. It wasn't good for me. Um, it wasn't a healthy... Like, my my work-life balance was terrible. Mm. Um, so...
0: Yeah. Did you so, like, I, it did you for enjoy? Seminary? It? Yeah. Like, did you? Yeah, I loved it. I okay. love to learn.
1: Like, I, um, I'll still pick up church history books I read in seminary, and just read them for fun. Yeah. Like, I just love to yeah. learn. I love to read. I love to um, learn different things. So I'm constantly studying gotcha. stuff, regardless. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed seminary. Um, wish I could have finished, but they had an option for me to um, get an MA, and so. Basically, I just had to change, like, I did a one different course. Gotcha. So I took that course, and I was able to actually get a degree out of it okay. rather than
0: just... L- will it transfer if you want to do something in the future?
1: So I think it would, except most places want you to do at least half of their program with them. So I'd probably lose, like, 20 credits, gotcha. 25 credits. Um, so I could in the future. I think Elizabeth would kill me <laughs> if I tried, at least now. Um, yeah, but maybe in 20 years. Maybe, yeah. But at least at this point, like, seminary taught me to learn. Seminary taught me to... Um, be able to navigate scripture and so um i'm thankful for the time there i don't think i like it, letters behind my name were never my goal yeah, yeah essentially you just
0: like to learn i just
1: like to learn yeah, yeah. so like i mean i've got people that i know i like said that they have phds and they've got multiple multiple degrees in bible it's like yeah that, that's, that's really cool it's good for them like if you're going to teach in a seminary you yeah, should yeah. have a phd yeah. um but that's not what god has ever wanted me, and that's mm-hmm. not ever something I wanted right. myself. So, um, so yeah, I decided to give up school and graduated with an MA, um, and that was 2012. I graduated.
0: Okay. So 2012, you, you get a you get a, a degree, and at the same time, you're managing a branch mm-hmm. and you're ministering. Did yeah. the church merge yet? No, the church hadn't merged yet.
1: Okay. Um, so we were still in in the midst of this. We were we were kind of. I would say in preparation for the merge because I think if if the church was where it was in 2008 in terms of just philosophically theologically they would have never merged with mm, um, right. Cheyenne Bryant's church
0: there so was it expository preaching mm-hmm. with Frank? yeah, okay.
1: yeah absolutely right. um, that was the one the one component of see, so that into some variation within fundamentalism there's a section of fundamentalism that believes strongly in expository preaching which is what the seminary was that i went to okay. even the college i went to was very big about you expound the text okay. and then there's fundamentalism that is the smashing tv kind that just kind of like reads everything into a text oh no, yeah you yeah. you will read a verse and then just say whatever you want about that verse and it probably ties into the king james <laughs> um, i'm not joking very eisegesis go yeah I, exact go look up um I send you those clips sometimes. Is it the pisseth on the wall? <laughs> um, not, not some of that, yeah. But uh, we'll get to that story. I'll send, we'll, we'll put a description in the, the notes, podcast. The um, but yeah, just go look up like Independent Fundamental Preaching. And you'll find Twitter accounts and YouTube stuff about guys who are just railing on every social topic there is.
0: Mm. And, uh, and not hitting it from a biblical... No, word. not at
1: all. It's yeah. just you read a verse and then it's like don't you think pants on women's dumb? Like, that's pretty much the extent of it. (laughs) So not, yeah, I should probably be more gracious about it than I am, but
0: I, yeah. You're I, poking fun and, and also not agreeing with their theology. Or no, because, the,
1: because theologically, most of them are easy believism. So you say a prayer and you're saved. Yeah. So you go out soul winning, you knock on doors, yeah. you get them to say a prayer, you chalk that up to one more soul in yeah, heaven. Man. It's like, that's not, yeah, that's report, not right. Yeah. Like that's awful. Yeah, I agree with that's, that. That's not biblical. You give false hope gospel. and.
0: It's not true evangelism, mm-hmm. like it's not biblical yeah. discipleship. That's, not, that's not, not the gospel. No.
1: So you'll have a church that come back and say, "We won fifty people to Christ. Not a single one of them ever ends up in a church. Yeah. Not a single one of them ever ends up.
0: Not good like, soil. Yeah, yeah,
1: nothing at all. So like, yeah, I, it's very shallow. Mm. Very shallow.
0: So you you transitioned with Frank to a point where you could merge with. Shylin and Brian, who are theologically, very theologically astute and also culturally astute because they're in the hip-hop world and producing albums and also um, pioneering kind of entrepreneurs because when you church plant, you have to be entrepreneurial to some degree.
1: Yeah. How'd that go? Yeah, so the merger and everything actually happened after we left. Gotcha. Um, so, it, so I was with Frank until 2013. Um. Then before we moved out to Pittsburgh, um, but it was after that time period where Frank met Shy and Brian, and they were in the process of getting this church plant started in Philly, Risen Christ Fellowship, and um, so I, I kept in touch with what they were doing. I kind of was aware, still keep in touch with Frank every now mm-hmm. and then, um, but they they kind of started that process after I had left. Gotcha. So like... I wasn't really involved in the decision-making or anything
0: like gotcha. that. Gotcha. So you left to plant a church, right? Yeah. Okay, tell that story. How did that happen?
1: Yeah, so um, my brother was a pastor in Pittsburgh area over in um, like Crafton. Or okay, in the, why Pittsburgh? Um, so after he graduated from college and then he did some graduate studies, at actually the same college I went to, um, he was looking for somewhere to be uh, an assistant pastor, associate pastor, okay. somewhere, and there was a church in Pittsburgh that gotcha. called him, and he went out here and did some. I guess it's called candidating, but it's basically yeah. an interview process. Yep. Um, came out here, and they they asked him to come and join the church as a as an assistant pastor, and I I think the goal was to at some point like take over as the lead pastor okay. once the um, once the other pastor retired. So in that time frame, I think my brother had a desire to plant a church. Um, we, we at that time like just finished seminary, um, graduated in 2012. We'd had some conversations with my brother about some things about like planting churches, and we'd been talking about it. Because I wasn't sure what, like, I just graduated. What was my goal? Was I going to stay within the church I was at mm-hmm. in Philly? What Was I going to do something else? Um, I had actually had a couple of pretty brief conversations with a couple guys about planting a church in Philly. Um, like, that's my city. That's where I grew up. Right. Like, even now, like, that's...
0: Right, you still say home that's home to me. Yeah, yeah. It's um, understandable. And
1: it's got way better food, <laughs> better sports teams <laughs> than Pittsburgh.
0: I'll let that slide. <laughs> um, I do like Philly cheesesteaks, I must admit. Yeah.
1: Have you had a legit one? Oh
0: yeah. Okay. With cheese Whiz and everything. That's good. Oh, yeah.
1: None of these like fake ones that you find. Like go to Subway and get a cheese steak. <laughs> no, and no.
0: This Gino's, steak. Um, and I, I can't remember the one with the metal outside. Very famous on South Street, uh, Upper Deck. Anyway. Good.
1: Okay. So, um, so yeah. So we were just kind of figuring out what we were going to do, and um, it was in 2012. When my brother was talking about planting a church in the Pittsburgh area, and. We prayed about it, spent some time talking about things, and ultimately made the decision in 2013 to move out here to
0: help plant that church. Mm. So, any network you were part of, any not, church planning, training, any of that? Not really. So, which is a,
1: a detriment to independent Baptist churches. Mm. Um, there's no interdependency. There's no um, really like networking or training like an Acts 29 mm. structure would have. Um, so he had some connections through, uh, there's a group called the PARBC, Pennsylvania Association of Regular Baptist Churches. Whoa. Um, yeah. <laughs> so they, they were part of, I think the general association of regular Baptist churches.
0: Um. This is really a denomination name? Regular I, I, Baptist I, I, Churches?
1: Yeah. I don't know if it's like a full denomination, but like more of a conglomeration or like an amalgamation of churches that all kind of think the same way. Like a network. Yeah, kind of like a network. Um, Like there's a seminary that's associated with them up in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. Um, But the Pennsylvania group was like, we don't like the direction of the general association, so we're going to make our own group. Um, So he had some connections there of churches and people who supported the church plant, supported him personally. Um, So the goal was for him to work part-time and then be supported financially part-time, and I was just going to be working full-time, um, and that's when I moved out here got a job at PNC.
0: Now, were you going to be a preacher, elder, were you going to be a regular member, and by yeah, that I mean, like,
1: yeah, not um,
0: ministering to that degree of I, I think,
1: to we hadn't really fully, like, broken down the actual like structure of everything that it would look like. Okay. Um, but Den was definitely going to be, Den's my brother. He was going to be the lead pastor. Um, whether I functioned in a formal pastor elder role, I, we never really got to the point where that was like determined or decided, but like for functional purposes, for practical purposes, we made decisions together. We talked about like the direction of the church together. So Mm -hmm. While there wasn't anything formally in place, I functioned essentially as one of the leader leaders of the church. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Um but no, I mean training wise it was um Tim Keller's church planting manual.
0: Oh the church, ma- church planning manual. So the manual got turned into yeah. center church. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I like, still have well, it. At that's all. a good one. I mean that's that's yeah. a good manual. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, it had the three ring binder. I remember yeah. being tempted to buy it. I was like, Should I buy it? Three ring binder. Oh, <laughs> well, if so you expensive. want it, you can have no, it. No, I'm good at right. Center Church.
2: Yeah.
1: If anybody <laughs> wants it, they
0: can have it because <laughs> I
1: don't know if I'm going to need it uh, again. Funny.
0: Um, but yeah. So all right. So let's talk because church planning is very unique. Yeah. It's a very unique ministry, and people don't realize from the inside what kind of stress that is on a family on. The, the pressures of, of it surviving the pressures of the people you, you end up attracting and yeah. and uh, and and so tell a little bit of that story I think you and I both listened to a uh, a podcast from startup on on church planning and the guy ended up being mm-hmm. an x 29 yeah church planner yeah. And, yeah and and we both agreed with the kind of struggles that that, yeah, that brother it's, faced
1: it's such a different dynamic and you don't realize it until you're in it um, the The pressures to, like, g- build and grow a church, so to speak. Like, we'll just use that vernacular and terminology, even though, like, we know biblically, theologically, we're not the ones mm-hmm. growing and building the church. Um, from a practical
2: From a standpoint. practical
1: standpoint, like, the things you're doing to engage the community and engage people, like, we didn't have, we didn't even have a, a framework of, like, you like, you had a Bible study of people that like, you'd been yeah. engaging. I had a for
2: base a, a while.
1: We we didn't have that. We had four people: mm. um, myself, Elizabeth, my brother, and his wife. Yeah. Um, and in that, you're you're trying to figure out all of these different ways to um, reach out to people, show love to the community, like and strategize and determine how do we how do we get to this. And so you've got this pressure to. Oh, and the other aspect of it is. You've got people who are giving you money,
2: mm-hmm. every and they want to see fruit, and they, they want to see yeah. something
1: out of it. Like faithfulness isn't enough,
0: right? So, they want fruitfulness.
1: Yeah, you you need to see something happening, and within the church planning space, unfortunately, if you don't start to see something tangible within a couple of years, people are like, ah, no right. good. Um, I mean, this you isn't can even a good investments, yeah. quote unquote. You can even read church planning guides and manuals that are like, if you don't have anything within two years, just shut it down. Yeah. Um, And while there may be some practical elements to that that are valuable to consider goal planning and strategizing about future, like there's this immense pressure. Like I got to get this up and running and up and running soon. And what that means is you're taking people who are in darkness, don't know truth. You see them come to Christ
0: and then expect them to be like fully functioning disciple makers
1: within A year, two years. You're fast tracking people. Yeah, and and that's not healthy. Yeah, I agree. It's not not a healthy thing for the people. It's not a healthy thing for the the person trying to plant the church. And so, I mean, if I ever did it again, it would be a wildly different environment. Like, four people on your own in a city where you don't know anybody. Right. Yeah, Um, you guys
0: are Philly guys. Yeah,
1: like, I mean, my brother had connections from his old church, but um, like, we didn't we knew two people other than who I worked with we knew two people like my brother and his wife and I think that was especially hard on Elizabeth like we left a a church family that we loved and cared for shortly after we moved out here one of our good friends passed away Um, so it was a lot of just challenge like one of our good friends in Philly passed away it was challenging to just be like we've moved out here to this new place and we don't we don't know anybody mm. like we don't we don't have connections with people we're not in community with people right. like we used to be I mean you had you had my brother and his family but a lot of our conversation was dominated by church plant right. stuff like that was the conversation Shop that was the flavor yeah. yeah so even mm. when we would get together for dinner it would be a lot of that type of stuff mm-hmm. um, so we saw it things within community within Pittsburgh, like other church planners we found that were coming to the area, um, but never really truly found like y- you missed the community element of the church mm. Um and we didn't have that. And so I think it was detrimental to, to both of us um, myself and Elizabeth to not be in that environment, to not have regular accountability with other Christians, mm. not have regular um, fellowship and engagement with other Christians on a just how are you doing type yeah, of level. Yeah. Um, like, How's your soul? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it was all of our engagement with within with Christians was what's the next thing we're doing for the church? Point. What's the next thing we're doing for the church? Mission, point? mission, mission. Yeah, mission. and I mean that's that's worthwhile. Yeah. That, that stuff needs. It's to not happen. a bad thing, but no, it can't be the only thing. But it can't be the only thing, and um, and at the same time, um, like my. Um, my brother and his wife that had another baby. She had a lot of, um, at least early on, not like major medical things. She was just a tough, tough infant, like crying a lot, a lot of like, I think she had some medical elements to things that just weren't. So it was a a tough season for them to be going through. It was a a tough season for us. Like we just transitioned. Like I left the city that I love um, to come to some place where they, eat fries on all their sandwiches and wave stupid towels around. Um, <laughs> Don't forget the coleslaw, man. <laughs> but, coleslaw, uh, too. Yeah, like, I'm struggling to find a cheesesteak. I'm trug- struggling Ooh, to find a hoagie. That's funny. And, like, I can't even eat the food I want to eat right now. Um,
0: but, and there's only a few pizza shops, too. Man.
1: Yeah, there's only a few pizza shops. I'm like, <laughs> this is killing me. Um, I had to make regular trips back to Philly to get food. That's um, but But, yeah, it was just the... And and then there's this always in the back of your mind, like what if this thing doesn't work? Mm. Like what are we gonna do? Yeah, what are we gonna do? Um uprooted ourselves and we kind of told ourselves initially, right or wrong, um we said like we're not we're not leaving Pittsburgh for at least five years. Mm. Like, we're staying so here for at least time. five years. Okay. Um and even from the outset of it, like I was I don't wanna say that I was prepared for it to not work out. Mm. Um, but I remember talking with Elizabeth and she's, and we were, I don't remember if she asked like, what do we do if this doesn't work? I'm like, it doesn't work. Like we've been praying about this. We feel that this is like the right thing that we're supposed to be doing right now. God's leading us in this. Like there's a reason all of this is Mm. happening. Um, this isn't just, we're not just leaving Philadelphia, moving to Pittsburgh in a flippant decision. Um, if it doesn't work out, if a church doesn't get planted, like God's still good, mm. he he will get glory through this one way or the other, um, and so that's kind of what my perspective was. Um, and so we went through; we were planting a church in Brookline, which is where I live currently. Mm-hmm. Moving to Plum, hopefully soon, within yeah. the next month. Um, but
0: which is my hometown? I grew up in.
1: Yeah, I'm going to be hanging out with all your old druggy <laughs> friends. <laughs>
0: A lot of them are not around, brother. Uh, i down. He, <laughs> thankfully, he got me out before. <laughs> yeah, but
1: uh, out. yeah, so you know, we we tried different things. Like we engaged the community fairly well. Like really made some good, strong connections mm-hmm. within the the framework of the um, of the community. And it wasn't like we were establishing new things. Like, hey, come see our church plant. Like we we tried to really be intentional about. Uh, doing things within the community centers and the rec centers and like engaging with the people who were there and just more or less living life with people. Um, so it wasn't so much like we were putting on these events and all these things It was more just in the regular flow of our lives. We were trying to engage with people. Um, so we got to the point where we had a small Bible study going on, um, on Sunday nights and, that was going at a fairly regular clip. Um, we had some neighbors that were coming out. Um, one guy coming that was... He actually drove myself and my brother. We we both took the bus into work. Same bus every day. He was our bus driver. Oh, nice. We made a connection through him. It's cool. Um, so we, we'd have a few people coming in and out. And uh, we're probably... Uh, what was this? 2015, I guess it would have been. Um, so we're going through all of that and kind of get it gearing up for like actually launching mm-hmm. the church officially. So go from four soft people, soft launch, hard yeah, launch, soft, yeah, soft soft launch type of thing. Um, so four people moved into a small Bible study. Now hopefully moving into like actually
0: doing worship, doing shows. worship, shows. yeah, like singing yeah, all and all that
1: yeah. stuff. And um, and through that, my brother came and talked to me and said like. For family reasons, for varying things, like he needed to step away, mm. and um, then I, so so all that, all that time, all that effort, two years of work, two years of planning, um, pretty much gone, instantaneous. And so you're you're thinking like, I I left the city that I love, mm. the church that I love. Um, I've had my wife struggling to just adapt to sure. life without people, yeah. like. Went from she was working. She had regular interactions with people. She had a church that she loved and was engaged with. To now, like nothing. nothing. Um, so her life was now spent in a house. We did get a puppy out of it. Nice but, um, in a house by herself. While I'm um, going to work full time, and then pretty much the rest of our time was spent church planning stuff. Mm. So um, so did all this and and left the life we had and you do kind of get that sense of like for what right um but that's where i I said earlier like i have a i have a view of god that doesn't allow me to have many regrets yeah i don't regret moving out here Mm. I, i don't i don't look back and say this was a mistake um i think god in his providence led us here for a distinct purpose and a reason and if that purpose and that reason was simply to have me grow in my understanding of him mm. and my reliance, and dependence on him, then that was good. Mm. And um, and I think I think that happened, uh, especially through that time. Like you're dealing with all these emotions of this thing ends, and you don't know um, you don't know what's next. Like, do we just move back to Philly? Yeah. Do we just pick up and leave? Do
0: we? what do we do do we do the five years we said we? yeah like
1: yeah uh, yeah, i was like where do we go from here um so the in that time period too had a couple conversations with my brother about him saying like well do you just want to like take it so even in the midst of that that kind of regular question that i had through college and seminary of like do you want to be the lead pastor of a church comes back up and my response to it was no. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think this is my gifting. Um, I don't think that God has, God has gifted people in certain ways mm-hmm. um, to be lead elders, to be lead pastors, mm-hmm. to set visions for the church. Mm-hmm. And I think there's things that I can do in that space, but I don't think that that's ultimately where my, my gifts lie mm-hmm. for the church. And so I didn't think from that principle alone I could do it, but in addition, I just thinking through the process of planting a church. Um, I I don't I don't believe in a um single head as you are a sole pastor, the pastor, pastor. The pastor yeah. of the church. It's yeah. not a, a framework that I align with. And so the thought of planting a church by myself
0: no, with no elders. With no, no other Calvaries. elders, no like
1: you've got some new believers, um Within that space, I just felt like this isn't, this isn't right. I, I don't align to this philosophically and theologically and practically I'm working full time. Yeah. I don't, I can't do this yeah. by myself. So we made the choice to um, kind of disband the people that we were coming, that had been coming. We got them connected with some churches in the okay. area that we nice. thought that they could connect with well and um, shut everything down. Mm. So then for probably the first time in our marriage, it was time to search for a church. Mm. Um, Because even back in Philly, when we found Living Hope and we're with Frank, um, we had a connection to Frank through a friend of ours. So we really didn't like have to go exploring a ton of churches. We already had a natural connection there. Um, So for the first time in, what was that, 20, I guess it was 2015, was it 2015? I think maybe 2016. I don't recall everything. It's crazy that we've been here seven years almost in Pittsburgh. Um, but sometime in, somewhere in that time frame, we got, we got to figure out where we're going, what we're doing and um, start the search for a church.
2: Mm.
1: So wow. eventually that led us to Eternal City.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you spent a what a years. year at a different church.
2: For a yeah, bit. I spent
1: a year at a different church. Um You've and we, we looked at a number of different churches okay. in the Pittsburgh area, um, but primarily we we stayed at one for about a year.
0: Yeah. yeah. And and you found Eternal City through through Frank,
1: actually. Oh, um right. so Eddie Didn't, Yeah, yeah. Um Eddie went out there I don't know if he was like he wanted to meet Shy. Um <laughs> I don't know what his reasoning was. Um but he went out there or if he was visiting Philly. I don't yeah, yeah. recall the circumstances. But um he got into a conversation with Frank and um, found out he was from Pittsburgh. They started talking, and uh, Frank gave me the information for the church. Yeah, and um, like I said, I, I'm in semi-regular contact with him, so he knew like we were kind of in the process of looking for a church and yeah. passed your information along.
0: Yeah. So And so, then I went online and saw
1: your picture. I'm like,
0: geez, <laughs> not this he dude. looks weird.
2: Dude.
0: Like, <laughs> what's he been into? That's right. And then you read the bio, you're like, no way. Forget <laughs> it. Forget it. This emaciated man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I need to eat protein shake, <laughs> Bro, I used to eat weight gain, right? I swear. And I would do, I, I could actually bench 185 at one point with weight. When gear. you were weighing like
1: 120? That's yeah. It's impressive. Is. Yeah, dude. it's
0: very impressive. 6'4", <laughs> <Six four>, 120. <laughs> my, so my buddy was a was a battle rapper. And, and when we used to do shows, he would do these mock battles. And he was like, all right, I'm going to be you in this mock battle, right? And so he's battling me, but I wasn't rapping. He was rapping for me. Okay. So he would take one side and then he would rap and battle me. Then he would turn around and battle himself <laughs> as me. And he said this. He said... Dude, you're, you're flat and white. You spent half your life posing as a plastic knife. <laughs> I was dying. I was like, that was a great line, bro. That's pretty good. Yeah, and anyway. Yeah, yes. So, <laughs> you gotta love the battle rappers.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so, Acts 29 is a, a church planting network mm-hmm. and they would give the acronym of A, assessment, C, coaching, T, training, S, support. And they have a rigorous assessment process. Like, for Megan and I, it took at least two years to get through, right? And it was, I think, in part, the reason we're still here almost six years later. July will be six years. Because we were warned in the training, you know, not only did you have to do the assessment, but then you had to write you know, position papers and phone call interviews and then personal interviews. And you had a, a personal coach and, and you had to do boot camp, conference trainings. And we were told like, look, this is going to be like really, really hard. You know, we were kind of warned. And, and, and I remember coming away from some of those talks being like, they're just trying to scare us. You know, yeah. they're just, but we kept hearing it consistently over and over. Like, if you've never experienced spiritual warfare, plan a church and see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you, you 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 don't have a bunch of tension in your life and in your marriage, plan a church and watch yeah. what happens. Like, you know, we they would tell stories about, um, they, they would see new planters and then they'd see them like two years later and they'd gained like 200 pounds mm. because they were like excessively eating and yeah. stressing out. And, yeah. or, or now they're hooked on, on, on beer and they need to get, you know, they need to, to go to AA meetings mm. and, and that's an exaggeration. But the idea is they're compensating for yep. the stress and pressure
2: yep.
0: for, from, for addictions. And, um, and so we were told all this. And to me, I was like, they're just probably trying to, you know, they're scaring us. And then we planted. And, bro, it was it was hard. I mean, it was the hardest thing that we had ever done. And we, we had been through some suffering prior to. And so I, I can't imagine you and your brother without having that kind of, like, warning and that kind of training and then you know i could call people and be like look this is not going well what do i do i had coaches and, and yeah. they would speak into my situation and give me resources and you didn't have that man nope. like that's that's amazing you know and i'm, I'm imagining there's people like you all over yeah. the united states and the world trying to plant without a support yeah. system and which network.
1: i don't advise it <laughs> it's just not i don't think it's the way god intended it to be mm. um Reflecting back, just practically, it, it doesn't. I mean, it can work. Like it you, can. You've work. seen examples. It does of work. Working. I Sometimes. think. I think in those situations, you have extremely gifted people.
0: who Your CJ Mahaney. Yeah,
1: who yeah. are capable of doing it. Um, Mark Driscoll. But those, yeah, those aren't everybody. No. Like, don't don't think that you can be that because I'm not. Right. I'm, I certainly am not. And um, the the lack of accountability and support, I don't think is healthy. Mm. Um, for a church plan. like you see you see some of those things just the stresses of life getting to people and some of the tangible evidences and the behavior changes you see, yeah. um, even having that with like no one checking in on you like we we really were in a situation where we weren 't accountable to virtually anybody
2: mm-hmm.
1: i mean outside of a couple of a few churches who gave my brother money for support, um, other than that, as long as they got their monthly newsletter of. Here's what's been going on, like that. That's that's it. Yeah. Um, but there's even this. There's this mentality of like the 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 lack of assessment. I think is a is a big issue as well. I even recognize this in college. Like I'm sitting next to guys in school, and they're in the same course as I am, saying they want to be pastors, and I'm like, yeah, you shouldn't be a pastor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like just their lifestyle. Just their lifestyle. Just the the way they the way they engage with people. Mm-hmm. Um, their lack of like care and compassion for people like dude you shouldn't like hopefully you grow in this Mm. area um but there was nobody coming along being like we don't think you should keep pursuing this no it was this pump of like no you gotta get through this you can get out and like get into churches and minister for god Mm. um and there's no assessment of it there's nobody there's nobody coming along and saying like we really think you'll be detrimental to a church. Mm. Um, nobody does that. Nobody Do you think that's that.
0: why so many pastors leave the ministry yep. every year?
1: Absolutely. I don't think people understand the the weight of it. Mm. Um, like you're you're caring for souls, and it's difficult, and it's challenging, mm. and it's not easy at all. And there's this there's this trumped up idea of pastoring is just simply preaching.
0: No, not at
2: all. And it's
1: not at all. Not that. at all. And preaching's fun. Like, I, I, really, yeah, I, I enjoy, enjoy it. Too. I enjoy the study of it. I, I'm i a natural learner. And so, like, digging into Scripture is just enjoyable mm-hmm. for me. Um, if that's all I had to do, it would be like, yeah, I'll be a pastor forever. Right. Um okay. But that's not that's it.
0: that's actually even though that's what I think most people imagine. Mm-hmm. That's the bulk of what pastors do. Not, that's actually a very small portion. Yeah. Depending on your you, you know, there's very specialized, yeah. you know, like Alistair Begg and John MacArthur yeah. and Votie Bauckham and yeah. these guys, you know, they're there. That is basically what they do. Yeah. That's all they do. Mm-hmm. Um, basically is speak and teach and write yeah. and stuff. But but if you're a church planner man, you're setting up, you're tearing yep. down, yep. you're counseling, you're doing all the weddings and funerals. Yep. You are going to to the store to buy the water. Like mm-hmm. You're doing it all, man. Yeah. You're, you're setting up the systems, you're buying the technology. I mean, it's,
1: and you've got the people wondering like whether or not you do enough, right? <laughs> like, yeah, bro. <laughs> what are you talking about? It, what do it, I do? Yeah.
0: Enough? And, and I, I, I've said this to guys m- many times. I think that you should be in a local church ministering yep. and getting the experience. Maybe then get the training to do this. But you need to like see kind of what it's like and yep. experience it and apprentice it and live it first.
2: Yep.
0: Um, because I think a lot of guys, they... they they have a similar story to you. They want to follow God. They have a desire. Then they get the training, and they've invested so much. Mm-hmm. And then they get into it, and they're like, "This isn't what I thought it would be yeah. at all. This isn't." And
1: and what do you do at that point? Yeah. Like for me, I I've been fortunate to I'll say fall in, but it's been providential. Like fall into a career in banking yeah. that I'm relatively good at. Yeah, and I've been relatively successful in. Some people don't have that. Right. And so you leave college, you leave seminary with, I'm going to go be a pastor. I'm 22 or 26 years old with this idea that you can conquer the world because you got a, you got an MDiv and you mm. can parse a Greek verb. Um, and that's all fine and good. But then you realize, like, it's not it. Like, mm. this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And this isn't the case for everybody. A lot. But for a lot. And... But then at that point what do you do?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like just just practically as a as a life as a career what do you do? Yeah. Because you've spent 8 years the equivalent to what I think most doctors go through mm-hmm. to become doctors. You spent 8 years training to be a pastor and you find out within the first couple of years like ah, this isn't for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Your only recourse is to go somewhere else and go to a different church and end up trying it somewhere else and then if that doesn't work maybe try something else i think the average pastor only lasts in church for three years i've heard that um so you're constantly just kind of trying to find the right situation and i don't think you ever and and it takes a lot of i think character to walk away from it Mm. and say this isn't for me um some of it may be because of burnout some of it may be because of just stresses and things but I think for someone to genuinely walk away and say, "Nah, like this isn't what I'm going to do," mm. and now I have to go find a job, support my family, when my training's in Greek and Hebrew, right? <laughs> Which is a great way. training, <laughs> great I mean, training, yeah. but you're not going to find a job right. that way, yeah. Unless um, so, you get a PhD in teacher
0: seminary, yeah, things. exactly. Yeah. So yeah,
1: it's it's a it's an interesting dynamic, um, and I I think it's the model that has been out there for some time of go get go to college go to seminary get your training then come back and you can become a pastor is is not doing service to Mm. the church and it's not doing service to them i think the way you describe it is actually what i would recommend to people now like
0: Like apprentice at a church intern at a church intern
1: at a church spend a couple years even if you graduate from high school and you're like hey i want to go get a degree somewhere like take some classes at a local college kind of I mean the first couple years of college are basically just remedial stuff anyway Mm -hmm. so like go take some of your courses there ingrain yourself in the church then if you need to go off and get additional theological training go do that Mm -hmm. but to not have that practical foundation I I think it does a disservice to the person it does a disservice to the church I mean I walked out of college at 22 having no idea what I was doing Mm. Um, and thankfully I had a pastor who was willing to like engage with me and work with me and like Decided show me really? Yeah, show me how to show me how to do this. But there's some guys that knew that. They left and they became pastors the of churches. Pastor. Yeah. And like I mean, some of you are gifted to be able mm. to do that. But at twenty two, yeah, I don't know anything. I'm like a kid. Yeah. Um, trying to yeah, navigate yeah. a world that all all things are brand new and you know, doing the best I can, but it's not exactly the best situation to be yeah.
0: in. And you, you know, as a pastor, you learn, you learn that like, okay, there is going to be people that leave because they're mad at you, because yep. they're mad at them, because they have a better church down the road. And, and, and you've invested in these people, yep. right? And, and you're like, what is going on? And, and there's a lot of hurt. And, and so you can either say, all right, I'm going to close myself off. Emotionally and relationally to these people, but you're called not to do that. And then you have the challenges of. So I remember, I was we the first two years of the plant, we were not. I didn't wasn't getting any income from the church, and I went to start raising support. And I remember going to my church that we planted out of uh, the Pendle's Alliance, and I remember saying to them, like, "Look, guys, I have worked twenty years or more." Doing labor, you know, like landscaping and, you know, light industrial. And, and and I have not been as physically tired as I am now because of the emotional stress. Yeah. And so I try to tell people, like, my emotional kind of, like, weight is so much greater, which then affects me physically. Mm-hmm. And I'm so much more tired now than I've ever been working full-time 50, 60 hours a week. You know, some of it is physical, so it could be exhausting. I've never been tired like this, doing... And, and, and you're not really doing physical labor in a church plant. That's mm-hmm. the, the amazing thing. Yep. But the emotional weight, and I think you said earlier, the caring for souls, it's a spiritual thing. Yep. There's an exhausting element oh, yeah, to it that absolutely. you that doesn't make immediate sense. You know, if you're a bricklayer, or you're outside all day as a landscaper, or, or you're doing, you know, construction work, drywalling, mm-hmm. you know, okay you'd be tired at the end of the day but what are you tired for like you're sitting in front of a computer you're talking on the phone you're meeting with people you're counseling you're preparing sermons like what how could you be tired you're exhausted yeah like you're just spent
1: yep no absolutely and i think i think too that it's you you got that emotional exhaustion Mm -hmm. of just engaging with people like getting down Mm -hmm. with people where they're at and helping to pull them out of whatever muddy situation they've been in Um, counseling them through difficult things. Um, But then you've also, and you alluded to it earlier, like you've got this, this spiritual component of like just attack from the devil. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, you're not, I don't, I don't want you as a pastor to thrive. Mm -hmm. I don't want you as a pastor to be, in in good relationship with God and mm-hmm. and all these things because that's a bad thing for him because mm-hmm. I think the, the one of the strongest things for a church is a, a pastor who's um, Really, in good relationship with yeah, God, connected, connected to God. to God, and connected to people, mm. and um, and so the more that that can be destroyed, the the more not that the church will be destroyed. I think right. we rely on Matthew 16 to say that will never happen. But the gates of hell will not prevail yeah, against it. So the church will always be growing right. and, and thriving. But locally, I think a church can be torn apart mm. by by varying things when a leader is not in. The relationship with with God, and then that trickles into relationship with family, relationship mm-hmm. with the church, and ends up in really disastrous situations. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and the family becomes an object of attack. Not so much from the church, but I think Satan mm-hmm. loves yeah. to work at destroying family. I mean, I'm sure that looking back now as a mature you know person who's grown up in a, in a pastor's home. You know, was in church your whole life, then went to seminary, then was in a church professionally, then planted a church professionally. I'm sure you can look back and see the attacks of the enemy that were strategic mm-hmm. and and worked and maybe sometimes didn't work or, you know, do you want to talk about some of those?
1: Yeah. So I, I think you see it in. Um, I, I, I'll get somewhat personal. Okay. Um, so with with my family in particular, um, one of my siblings basically walked away from her faith um, got herself involved in some some different stuff um, substance abuse and relationships um, and wasn't wasn't good mm-hmm. and I, I think through that though you had rather than Rather than my family, like, coming together and helping each other through that, there was a lot of, um, I think, spiritual attack to say, this is going to get used to, like, really rip at the fabric of my family. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really, I, I would say, in a lot of ways, consumed a lot of my my mom and my dad that this happened. Because mm. remember, they, they grew up in a framework of you, you teach your kids a certain way and they're going to come out a certain way. Mm. And so when that doesn't happen... So it's
0: that whole, like, train up a child in the way they should yeah. go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Yeah. And that's a... Is that a fundamentalist like promise, kind of?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you, you may not see it in every instance, but generally if if a kid doesn't turn out, you're looking at the parents to say, what did you do wrong? Mm. Um, and so... They're they're racked with that. I would say guilt over what's happening with like Mm. why is this happening, Mm. like that element of I've been faithful. I mean, I remember my mom saying to me like, I would drive forty five minutes out of my way to pick somebody up and bring them to church. Like, why would God do this to Mm. me? And so and so, I think one of one of Satan's desires is for you to distrust God. Like Mm. that's what he wants more than anything. And so this that situation kind of boiled over, I think, for my parents to say, like, at, at least for my mom in some respects, I'm like, why would God allow this to happen? Like, why would he do this in my life? And so there began to be a questioning of, like, is God really for me? Mm. Is God really good? If he was, why would he let my daughter end up this way?
0: Doesn't that just sound like something Satan would yeah, say, too? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And I, I think you, you saw that, and it was, it was happening after we had moved to Delaware. Um, and then my parents ended up moving to, to Michigan. And even, even in the midst of that, I think they, um, they had just situations in their marriage where they were not connecting very well. Um, Mom never wanted to leave Philly. Like, that was her home. That's where she grew yeah. up. She didn't want to leave there. She didn't want to be in a situation she was having to go back to work, and there was just this this constant conflict that started to develop. And then moving to Michigan, where I mean, it's where they lived. It's like winter nine months out of the The year.
0: Northern Michigan. Northern Michigan. It's like by the lake.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, my first. I remember my first Christmas break from school um, because they moved out there my my freshman year of college. I remember coming back, and I'm pretty sure it snowed every day. I think like fourteen feet of snow yeah, up there—something that crazy. lake snows. So I mean, you moved from like there's already this this struggle with what's happening with my sibling and everything that they're feeling in the midst of all of that. Um, to now, you're going to this place where like you're shut inside for like nine months. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not sunny. It's not Florida. No, it's no. not South Carolina. So I, I think there's this under. This underlying element of why, why did God let this happen? And at least f- from my mom's perspective, then God brings us to this cold, miserable, mm-hmm. cloudy place that isn't Philadelphia, that isn't the East Coast, that isn't everything that's familiar. And my mom's not someone that likes to change.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, she's upset. She got upset that we're moving. Um, just because she doesn't want change to
0: happen. Oh, you're moving. That I'm moving.
1: Like, yeah, I'm actually going to be closer to her. And she's right. like, "Well, are you sure you want to do this? Like, is this?" She doesn't like change at all. Um, she'll stay in a job for a miserable job for twenty years just, just she because doesn't. she doesn't want to change. Yeah, the so, like, there's there's all of these different components, and it's like in the midst of that, there's this struggle to not trust that God is in control of mm. all of these things, and to start to question um, whether or not whether or not God is. Actually, for you mm. you know it's, it's interesting I think it was Ed Welch um, mm. he either wrote this in a book or he said it at a conference I was at where he said some of the some of his like most of his people he counsels are from these like strict conservative backgrounds mm. where they have this expectation of God that if if I do this service for you then my life will end up a certain way and when it doesn't happen
2: you they
0: feel like God's rejected them God's rejected them.
1: them what did I do wrong so mm-hmm. you're racked with guilt you're racked with these thoughts of God of like you're not a benevolent loving God because if you were these things this wouldn't would, happen yeah. to me and so mm-hmm. you're you're navigating this space and all you get from the fundamentalist church and and I'm speaking broadly probably a broad brush because this isn't the case in every way is
0: mm-hmm.
1: well the reason things are bad is because you've done something. Mm-hmm that God isn't happy with sounds
0: very word of faith
1: so you've done something God's not happy with and so therefore um, that's why you're going through the situation you're in I mean I've had there were there was people who uh, Elizabeth struggles with physical things and she can tell you her own story at some point in time but she's actually been asked before, like, well, what sins are in your life that would mm. cause you to be sick? Like, seriously? Like, I'm sure those things happen, but like that's that's like the go-to yeah, yeah. form of counseling in that mm. space.
0: Yeah, we need to repent and then we'll be we'll be made well. Yeah. Yeah, man.
1: So I think I think that's just is one example of like the pressures of yeah. pastoral ministry. Even like even a kid who runs away from their faith is like destructive to mm. the family and I think used by satan Absolutely. to really tear things apart
2: Absolutely.
1: because like I said before I think the relationship of a of a pastor with god will influence the way the church goes no doubt so if if the pastor's dealing with these these family struggles and family strife um, it's going to affect how the church functions and and is mm-hmm. and um and I I don't think that that's by mistake. Mm-hmm. I think that's by design, by the devil, and what he wants to do.
0: Yeah, and, and I want to then take that a bit further. I think that if we persevere, like James 1 tells us to, you know, consider it pure joy when you face trials of various yeah. kinds, testing of your faith produces steadfastness, let it have its full effect, you'll be complete, lacking nothing. If you persevere through it, and stay, you know, in a sense, holding on to God, like I'm still holding on to you. Meanwhile, we know he's holding on to us yeah. the whole time, but we feel like we're, we're holding on to you. The interesting thing that flows from that is you then, your suffering can be turned into experience that then you can relate to yep. other people. Absolutely. You know, that's that, it's that Corinthians, the God of Comfort comforts us so that we can comfort others with the comfort which we have received. Yeah. You know, and and it, and and you tell stories of suffering to suffering people, and and there's like a hey, I, I maybe not that exactly, but I feel you. Like I, I know what it's like to be under the 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 hard providence of God. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it becomes valuable in a sense where God uses it as a tool that you can have healthy empathy, healthy, healthy sympathy, healthy relatability. And, and you're not just like, you know, hands in the air. I don't know what yep. to do here. Like,
1: yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Again, um, one of the, I think that, that is a design that is healthy and good mm. for a church. Like to be able to see a pastor who has endured suffering and hasn't has experiences of spiritual attack and, has experiences that they've gone through that are, that are difficult and being able to share those super relatable. Mm. It's, it's, I think evidence of someone who's being genuine and real where it, where it's a detriment is when the church thinks Mm. their pastor needs to be like Superman Mm. and can't, can't reveal who they really are. And so in, in revealing your weakness and saying, I've struggled in this area, whether it's sin or suffering or, Things you're going through. Um, I grew up in an environment where that was frowned upon. That was so not a value. You had to hide it. Mm-hmm. You, you don't talk about your struggles. You don't talk about your sins. You don't talk about the things you're enduring. So if you're struggling mm-hmm. with depression, you hide it. Mm-hmm. And you, you do your best to put on a good face. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. there's this perception of, like, well, the pastor shouldn't be struggling at all with anything. And I think it's Is that
0: because it fits within that framework of we we follow these rules kind of and mm-hmm. then the 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 A plus B equals C is yeah that, do you so think that's it, it? it
1: follows that and one other thing goes back to is that element of um, the the pastor is distinct from the people mm. and so the pastor is put on a pedestal and said like this is this is basically how a a pastor should be like. Super spiritual, never struggling with sin, never struggling in, in any particular area, um, not weak at all. Mm-hmm. Almost like the Superman yeah. type of thing. And um, so when they—that's
0: an immense amount of pressure. Man.
1: Oh yeah, and and it they, like you can't do it. It's mm-hmm. not sustainable. No. Like it's, it's not real. No, and so you're left with as a pastor trying to. You're you're not being genuine. You you can't reveal what you're really dealing with, mm-hmm. and you don't have anyone to talk to about right. it. Um, I mean, especially within the, the independent space, like you have coaches and things, and I think we're in an environment here at Eternal City where you can be free with, like, hey, here's what I'm oh, yeah. doing. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we even have it as elders, keeping each other accountable and mm-hmm. talking about where we're That's struggling great. and the things we're doing. Yeah. But when you're in an independent church, you're by yourself, you don't have someone to talk to. You mm-hmm. can't go talk to the, the other deacon at the church because. All of a sudden, they're going to be like, "Well, why is he? Why is he dealing with that? Mm. What do you mean you're depressed? Like, what do you mean you're dealing? You're discouraged about this? Like, that doesn't fly. Mm. Um, you're not allowed to do that because if it, if you do, you're you're all of a sudden looked down upon, and you the the pedestal that you were on starts to crack, and eventually you're going to have to move on somewhere else mm. because the people won't respect you
0: anymore. See, that's so interesting because in, in my experience i purposefully, like, I I would call it leading out of weakness, like sharing from the pulpit struggles, sharing failures, sharing whatever, emotional pain or, and people seem to really appreciate it. And I've noticed that when I'm meeting somebody and and we have a newer relationship and it's a ministry context, you know, like it's a, it's a new person in the church or, you know, new to a small group and, and I open up and share my own wrestles and, and struggles then all of a sudden, boom, they open up, yep. but not until usually. Yep. And so it seems to always be this like open door. They're like, Oh, okay. Well, if he, then me, you know, yep. and, and it seems to be an asset in ministry. No, we're not talking about disqualifying struggles, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. right? We're just talking about your, you will suffer, you mm-hmm. know, that if you're going to be a pastor just as a human being, you're going to suffer. But I think there's a unique suffering that comes yep. to pastors, yeah. Uh, and and I think a lot of it is spiritual that's unseen. but but you it, it, when I open up to people and and talk to them about the struggle, um, I think some of the things that's been said is it just it feels very authentic. you know, and I'm not going for authenticity. It's just I'm being honest. I'm mm-hmm. just being honest with you. And then they get this, I, I think they feel like they're safe, and then they can open up and talk about their struggles as well. No. where it seems like in the environment you're you're describing, that would be unheard of.
1: No, you don't. You don't talk about it. I mean, I, I know people who have um, given unspro- unspoken prayer requests. I've heard on, I've,
0: yeah, that was my church growing up um, too. I have an unspoken.
1: And the unspoken is that they're struggling with anxiety and depression and discouragement, mm. but they can't say it because if they say it, then there's there's going to be a problem. Yeah, um, and eventually it gets to the point where like. It's not, like I said, it's not sustainable. No. It, 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 you're, people are going to crack, and um, it's not going to work out. Yeah, in
0: one sure. sense, we need a good theology of our humanity, yep. and we need a good theology of pastoral, like, in a sense, self-care. I know that sounds very
2: mm-hmm.
0: selfish and, like, worldly, but it's not. Like, you know, Chris, have you read Chris Ash's book, uh, Burnout? No. It's just a little thing. It's one of those little, almost gift-sized books. Okay. Really helpful, though, man. It's called zeal without burnout. Mm-hmm. And his basic argument is like, look, it's really good to be zealous for the Lord and say, I'm going to, I'm going to, if I die for Jesus, I'm going to, I'm going to die on fire. You know, it's that kind of attitude. Yep. The the question he asks is like, look, what's more valuable? You like being on fire for God for three years or you for like 40, 50 years? What's yeah. more valuable to the kingdom? Yeah. You know, and, and if you could be zealous, but can you be zealous and not burn out? Like, can you... Accomplish much for God's kingdom and be on fire for Him and make disciples and do the work of ministry for the long haul, mm-hmm. for for the for the steadfast plodding year after year after year after year. That is what the kingdom of God needs. Not you going up like a firework as we hear the fireworks outside, yeah. um, Fourth of July is coming, and 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 burn up and boom, you're gone.
2: Mm-hmm. And hey,
0: where did he go? Hey, where where'd she go? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's been an interesting. Just journey through that, like for me personally, coming through, seeing it as a pastor's kid, seeing even just within the other churches we've been in, like I, I can't recall a time where a pastor ever stood up um, and talked about, like from my youth, talked about things that they were dealing with, mm. like thing like I haven't seen it that I, could, I I never saw it that what I could recall, um, you were almost like the. The president and the first lady type mm. of mentality. Because um, the good the pastor's message. wife had a certain expectation. Always have a role. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, they had to dress a certain mm-hmm. way. Um, people looked to their fashion to, like, decide that. Mm-hmm. Like, the people of the church would look to her, like, oh, she dresses super classy, so we'll have to, like, class ourselves up mm-hmm. a little bit. Like, that type of mentality. Um, so, yeah, it's been just an interesting navigation to, like, come out of that and, um, and go through the church planning experience um come here to like, an Acts twenty nine church that i fifteen years ago probably wouldn't never been a part of.
0: they were pretty um, radical fifteen years yeah ago. yeah
1: um and just yeah the the different flavor of the church it's super refreshing it's mm. it's uh been enjoyable for the last two-plus years or so. Um, and, yeah, it's just... it. It's nice to not feel an immense amount of that, like, external pressure mm. of, like, having to conform and be a certain way. Um, because I'm a non-conformist anyway, so you weren't going to get <laughs> me to are, conform. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it would have been a battle. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of my... Yeah, it's just it's just been interesting, and like, even in the midst of the church plant closing, um, dealing with the those circumstances and all the the hurt, the pain, the questioning of what's happening. Like, and even thinking back to that time, in the midst of that, I I had had like a major Crohn's flare too, mm. to Stress. where. Um, whether it was stress or, or... I'm not sure exactly what it was. Medicine wasn't really helping me at all. Um, I mean, to give you a glimpse into my life for a period of time, I was on a couple of different medications. Um, one of which is a chemotherapy pill. Whoa. So, multiple times a week, I was waking up throwing up. Mm. Um, I have, I've thrown up in bathroom stalls at work. Um, I threw up in a trash can in Reading Terminal nice. Market in Philly. I had to throw up; like, bathroom was full. Um, if you've been in Reading Terminal I Market, have.
0: yeah, you'll know. Like, it's very close quarters, little close, shops everywhere. There
1: was like maybe 25 eighth graders standing there, oh, like yeah. well, I'm throwing up in a trash can.
0: So, it's like, better than barfinal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could have. They,
1: they probably would have freaked out. Um, but yeah, so even in the midst of all of that, like I'm dealing with immense amount of like. Just physical stuff, Crohn's related. The symptoms and the medication is terrible, and it's not helping me get better either. Like, I'm not feeling well at all. Mm. Um, we were, Elizabeth and I were talking about this the other day, and she was like, "I looked back at some pictures of you, and you just looked bad." Mm. Like, and I did. Like, I looked back and it was like, "I looked terrible. Like, mm. <laughs> it was like, I was dying." Mm. Um, but even in the midst of that, like, laying on the bathroom floor, like. Just wanting to like literally just like actually thinking out loud in someones like, just kill me That like, would be better. I would rather not deal with this yeah um, yeah, like feeling like you're getting stabbed in the stomach every two minutes mm. because your body doesn't wanna your body doesn't like itself and so it's attacking you. Um, yeah, it's just not not fun at all. been through fifteen or sixteen different scopes. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a professional me, colonoscopy. Yeah, you
0: told me the person. other day yeah. that you try to fight going out. Oh <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't want to go out. Why would I want to go out? Uh,
0: going out in with, the sense of the, the anesthesia, you're mm-hmm. like, I'm not doing it. I'm not
2: doing it.
1: Yeah, and it, yeah, it doesn't work <laughs> ever. Um, eventually, I'm gonna have it work, but I don't know why I would want to because I'm in the middle of right a colonoscopy, that would be painful. Yeah. So I wouldn't really want to be a, awake. It's funny and that you try that. to fight it though. Um, but yeah, like I, I've had. Numerous scopes, just numerous tests, and like, thankfully, feeling better now. That's great. But, um,
0: no medication? You on medication? I'm on medication now. Okay.
1: Um, but it seems to be for the first time since I was diagnosed, like actually helping. Mm. Um, some would help a little bit, but not enough. Um, sometimes it would help, but things would come back and flare up, and then other times the medication was. I, for a year,
0: I was basically nauseous for an entire mm. year. Man. Um, and and you were like pastoring at this time too. And so that was around
1: when I was working full time, and that was during the time period when the church plant was closing.
2: Yeah, man. Yeah,
1: that was 2016, I believe.
2: Yeah, that had to be a terrible 2016, year. 2016,
1: somewhere in there. Yeah, it was awful. Hmm. Yeah, that was, and just the physical pain alone. I, was like, I like I said, I was, I can recall sitting on my bathroom floor, just being like, I just want to die. Hmm. Um, I don't want
0: to be alive anymore. What um what got you through spiritually like the Psalms? What books helped you in suffering? Like what, what was helpful during that time? Was there a scripture that you kept going back to?
1: Yeah, so I think the, the Psalms helped quite a bit. Um, there's there actually a book called Everyday Prayers hmm. by Scotty Smith. Um, and it's a Gospel Coalition guy. Yeah. yeah, and he uh one of the best meditative gospel centered devotional books I've ever read in my hmm. life. And so he would basically just take a short passage of scripture and um, spend a page or two just meditating on that short psalm or that short passage of scripture. And I think that was that was super helpful. Um, And admittedly, like there were there were periods of time um, through that where I I can't say that I questioned God. Um, I I wouldn't put it like, like that. But there were periods of time where I definitely was just like I don't, I don't understand this. I don't get it. Um, it wasn't to the point of me like turning away from God or like, nothing like that. No. Um, but there was definitely an element of like uh, whatever you're doing, like do it quick. Mm. <laughs> like whatever's happening yeah. here, I don't want to um, deal with yeah. this anymore. Um, and just enduring through that. Um, but the whole time just recognizing like there is, there is something good that is to come out of this. And if the only good that comes from it, quote, the only quote good that comes out of it is um, that I learn greater dependence on you, then that's good. Mm-hmm. And just trying to rest in that thought of Romans 8, of God works all things together yeah. for good. And that good doesn't mean that am magically going to be healed. Yeah. It may be. Like, that would be right. a wonderful thing. Right. But um, it doesn't necessarily mean that. Um, but what what can I learn through the circumstances I'm going through, whether it's the church plant closing, whether it's the year-long search for a church, whether it's um, different components of elements of just marriage relationship and the inner, inner workings of how those things are going through in the mm-hmm. midst of stress oh, yeah. to feeling like you're gonna die and just wanting to die um all of those things like if through all of it i walk away with a deeper understanding of the gospel and a deeper understanding of christ seeing his heart for me and growing in that way to serve and love the church then that's a good thing Mm -hmm. and um and if that doesn't happen not because god's screwing up it's because i've i've not learned what God is trying to teach me mm. through all those things. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting journey. Like I said, seven years in Pittsburgh, um, never would have guessed. And honestly, probably two years ago, we were ready to move mm. back, and that's when I found. That's when we found Eternal City.
0: Yeah, I, I love that you guys not only um, got engaged quickly with the ministry here, but but you've told me many times that. There was life that was brought to you guys mm-hmm. through our people,
2: yeah.
0: uh, which I thought I, was, I just rejoice. You know, yeah. that's the kind of stuff that I'm like, all right, this is <laughs> let's keep doing this, yeah. you know. And uh, and then, you know, you we lovingly coaxed you into, <laughs> <laughs> into taking the assessment yeah. for for eldership. And
1: yeah, I didn't want to do it at first. Did not. Um, did not. I didn't think it was I didn't think it was time for me to. Mm. Um, honestly, like it, it was like coming here. I and mean, we were in a point of just kind of wandering for a year and and truthfully if you if you look back to from 2013 until when we started coming to eternal city in um i think it was the end of 2017 like october 2017 mm-hmm. um yeah because the eagles won the super bowl in 2018 <laughs> and i remember yeah sitting next to Matt who was a patriots fan yeah at the night of the super that. bowl yep, yep. um so 2017 um, from 2013 to 2017, we didn't have a church.
2: Mm.
1: Like we were not part of a church Um, for that year before we came here. Like we did go to and participate in some fashion in a church. We weren't really connected. We, we weren't really super engaged. We we kind of looked at it as like, we're somewhat transitioning to find where we're going to go. Like we never really felt super comfortable there, Mm. but, um, but even before then, like we were in the, we were planting a church. There wasn't a there wasn't a church that we were a part of, and so we went four years without really having fellowship with people, like fellowship with other Christians, accountability, community, and so to have found that was like rejuvenating yeah. in a lot of ways. And um, we went through probably the most. Not probably. We went through the most difficult years of our marriage since we've been here. Um, And if it wasn't for the people in the church, yourself included, like, I don't know if I'm sitting here today. Mm. Like, I mean, I I remember saying at some point within... I don't know if I said it to Elizabeth or I was just even talking to myself, just thinking like... um, I know what walking away means. Mm. I know what it means. And I'm almost at the point where I'm going to do it. Mm. And I knew full well, like walking away from marriage, walking away from faith. Like I knew what that meant. And yet I was growing comfortable with the idea Mm. of I'm doing it. It seemed like a better option. It seemed like a better option what I was doing. And if it wasn't for, I said yourself, other people in the church, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know where I would be. Like, I don't know what life would look like. Mm. Um, but, and ultimately, that's evidence of God's grace yeah. through other people. But, yeah, I think if, uh, if I hadn't come here, it's all providential, but right. if, I, if we hadn't come here, yeah, don't know where life would be.
0: It's amazing. Yeah, it, it is amazing that God takes us through these seasons of terrible shadows and darkness in the valley and then we come out on the other side and we're like, wow, I made it through that. And then, you know, the, the experience you've gained in suffering and persevering mm-hmm. and steadfastness and, and, you know, coming out on the other side now, you have so much more, I think, I don't want to say credibility. You have more capacity for empathy and compassion for people who are suffering than you you could not have had that otherwise. Yeah, yeah
1: I absolutely agree. And I don't think I w- yeah, you wouldn't have it without the experience and enduring it. Um, and it's not to say that I'm I'm perfect or I have full levels
0: of compassion. Right, right.
1: My mom would tell me I'm not compassionate. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, you I do g-
0: care for people. Like yeah, I'll, I do. I, I can tell. I mean, you, well, you wouldn't be a pastor otherwise. But but you do. You have a care for people. You have a love for people. People come before you know the, the mechanics of ministry. Uh, and 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 I think it's due to one maturity, but two having suffered and and you realize the people component in that and getting better through community and yeah. fellowship yeah, and and
1: I, i've seen i've seen situations where so many examples of people not having that mm. people who've reached out to others for help and not gotten it um and it's almost like that. Why? That doesn't make sense to me. That someone would someone would have a struggle and say, I need help in this area and they just get ignored. Like I that doesn't fly. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't fit within the framework of how you look at Jesus' heart. We're going through Mark right now. Right. Look at Jesus' heart for people right. where he's willing to go walk to Jairus' house and mm-hmm. take care of his daughter. He's he's willing to stop and address the woman who touches his garment like Justin was preaching tonight. Not just to heal her physically, but to be like, no, like, let's, you have something Daughter deeper you in your need to heal from. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so, like, that's Jesus' heart for people. Mm. Um, he 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 cares for people. And um, so in that same vein, in that same heart, like, the care and compassion God has shown me through Christ, how can I not show right. it to someone else? Right. Um, and if I'm not, then I'm, I'm doing a disservice to the cross. Mm. I'm doing a disservice to the gospel. Because what I've been given, I should be giving that much more.
0: Yeah, it's good, man. I love it. I think that's a great place to end, brother. Yeah. End on the gospel. Uh, anything else you want to say to anybody?
1: Uh, no, nah, if you have more questions, just ask. Okay. I'm pretty quiet, but I'm p- I can at talk. eternalcity.org. Bro. Yeah. Like I said, I'm quiet for the most part, but I can engage. I can talk.
0: One more interesting thing. I found it interesting that, that we recognized you as an elder the first day of shutdown. Yep. First day of COVID shutdown. And then the first day of reentry, you, you know, you preached your first sermon mm-hmm. that day, too. And then your first your first sermon was on hell, too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, guys, you guys definitely were like, we don't want this one. So here you go.
0: And then, and then the first day of reopening was you were preaching too. It's kind of unique yeah. in this COVID season. Well, thank you, brother. Thank you so much yep. for doing this. Absolutely. Uh, we'll be doing p- more podcasts, but thank you for sharing your story. Mm-hmm. I know it's going to bless people. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And I appreciate it. Cool. All right. Love you, dude.
2: Yep, love you.